Jeannie Chang, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist, a best-selling author, a public speaker, and how I came to know about you personally, a social media influencer called Nunas Nunchi, where you post regularly about Korea, Korean dramas, K content, often from a mental health perspective. Now, I had a great time with you over lunch the other month, and so I'm really excited about this conversation. It's great to see you again, Jeannie. I'm so excited. It was so nice to meet you for lunch, and thank you for the treat. It was awesome. I tell a lot of people about that place. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Very good. Glad, glad to hear that. Let's start this conversation, I think, with Hisangan Pionosa Uyongo, Extraordinary Attorney U, because loads of people are watching it these days, but I'm also yeah. watching it. I, I'm waiting for the next episodes. I'm really into it. And, uh, you know, oh. as a 40 year old man, I, completely fascinated. You've posted about it. What's your take on this latest K drama that's everyone everyone is watching? What's Uyongu? Yeah, or, or Korean drama, right? Korea, yeah. you know, because I read your articles. I uh, okay. Well, you said I love the way you said the name in Korean, Isangan, and I talked about that. I think in maybe on a TikTok, we're just saying you know it means strange mm. or odd, right? So in, in the beginning, I'll be honest with you, when I saw it, I was like, I'm not going to see a story about an Eastman attorney because <laughs> you know that was my first glance because i just look at the image mm. but i just and and this was before the hoopla i would say about two episodes in i'm like i just had some time turn on netflix but what i liked about it what i believe folks like about it was immediately it, again if i'm talking mental health it hit my mood in an upbeat way mm. meaning i watched it and immediately felt this lightness that i was like oh this must have been the korean drama i was missing like, because I had come off maybe our blues, if I remember mm. my liberation notes, which I know you watched. Uh, and I think I was a little bit of funk, maybe watching, I think why her it's on Vicky, a little bit more intense. And I didn't need that. I wanted something upbeat with the overall tone and mood. Obviously, they tackle some cases that are not as upbeat, but it doesn't matter. The overall tone of the drama is, I believe, hopeful. I think mm. that's the word. So I think that's a, that's why from a mental health perspective, it being a phenomenon. Now, there's other reasons why it's also a phenomenon. you got great actors. you got a cute lead, male lead. Let's just let's just be honest, right? And then, you know, Pak Eun-bin, a great actress, and she's really doing the role well, I believe. I think all of that. But the actual tone and mood of the story is, I think, something what people like. You know? Absolutely. And I've never actually considered this now, just until you're saying it. The tone of them. So they're K-dramas, whatever they are, they're Korean dramas, but the tone of Uyongu is very, it's very light. There's this kind of uh, whimsadaisical, this kind of lightness in the piano notes, the melodies, and when you're watching it, even though it's dealing with some very serious, heavy issues, I guess, at times, it never feels oppressive to me. I've never realized that until now, Jeannie. Yeah, and you're a musician. Right off the bat, I go with the OST. You hear the theme song. It's like dun, 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 dun. very, very light. I'm not going to sing it through, but I, I, it, it gets into my head. Uh, and people, I'm sure, on Netflix tend to skip the intro. Most of the time, I'll watch the intro as in we've seen it many times, but I like the music. I think from the get-go, the music really hooks you in going, oh, mm. interesting. A little bit light there. And then obviously, there's something light about her, right? She's not this stern um a high functioning autistic adult it's she has that lightness to her and i and then and it starts off with i mean i'm not revealing too much but family relationship i think it just gripped me from the get-go and then i believe uh, they, they kind of met everybody's expectations with the acting and 
uh, storylines. And mm. yes, and here it is. Every episode is, I like the fact that they do a new case per episode without giving it away. You're tackling something new, something, a new issue, a social issue that young Wu you see as in, I, I would say she doesn't win every case, right? She doesn't mm. like take over and she's the heroine. No, she's more like she has this, uh, we see what we walk her through a case that's realistic and she does lose. Like, mm. that's what I also like. I think that's what you, people would be kind of like, trust me with that's all of us being cynical. We'd be like, yeah, okay. So she's winning every case. You know, that sarcasm. You're not seeing so much of that sarcasm because they're like, oh, you see her kind of not win on, and she does come across a certain way. And sometimes, you know, she does quote unquote by her coworkers, which whether they meet it or not, they're, they're saying these comments or they're not degrading, I think, but they're still in some sense pointing out, stop repeating yourself. To me, I like all of that because it just normalizes what she's doing. And when I say normalize, it doesn't mean completely accepted. It's more like, we know, okay, we know you mentioned you have autism. Yeah, we get it. Stop repeating yourself. I think that's good. Instead of being, oh, she did it again and giving that weird look. You know mm. what I'm talking about? Mm -mm -mm. So there's a lot of nuances I'm watching. But again, I really think it's important that from the get-go, people get hooked. And it is that overall light mood. I think there's part of us these days that thinks like if it's going to be serious art, if it's going to be good art, it has to be deep or it has to be critical. You know, it has to be this very uh, introspective or negative take on something like like Parasite or like Squid Game. These are two, you know, big promoters of the Hallyu thing. But I think, you know, art doesn't always have to be that. Art can be lighter. It can be uh, a little bit more you know just lighter in tone i guess we don't always need that critical thing and i've never really consciously thought about it that way because for example our blues that you've mentioned maybe we come to that, lots of swearing in that these very heavy storylines but it feels like that whereas uyongu has heavy storylines it has patriarchy it has uh you know mental illness and it has um north korean defectors all of these kind of things yeah. but it never feels like you're suffocating through it Exactly. And even our blues, what I, which I would say is lighter than Squid Game, right? And Parasite. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I would say it was emotionally more taxing because they, it was just emotional, right? And so yeah. people are sobbing through it, but not dark. So maybe that's what I'll add in. Uh, Squid Game was right, doing it, very entertaining, but mm. I will say I watched it, but I also had to watch Hometown Cha 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 to make up for that. I was like, oh, okay, that was, okay. Let me turn on Hometown Cha 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 to feel a little better. If I want to talk about mental health, I do recommend K-dramas and they're really good, but there are specific ones that I don't recommend. I'll say Squid Game was fun and I'm glad to put K-dramas or Korean dramas on the map, but um, it's dark. And so mm. you kind of go into a dark place when you watch something like that. You're kind of like, oh, they're you know trying to kill each other. Do you know what I mean? So I will say watch it for entertainment purposes. Yes, there's a message there, of course. But then if you feel yourself getting affected by that, which I was, I had to watch something else to end my night, to be honest with you. How, how affected do you get by K-dramas? Because, and we'll come into this, Jeannie, but you're the mental health expert. And so sometimes with mental health experts, we think they've got all their stuff together. You know, they have no problems. They've got their stuff in order. But I, I mean, I watched um, I, I watch that and I, I get a little bit emotional. It might be my age, it might having kids now, but like I'm sat there and I go, oh, this is pretty, you know. Um, how emotional do you get watching these kind of K-dramas? Okay, 
This is why I started bringing them into my work. I get super emotional, meaning I find it therapeutic to, and cathartic even to express that emotion on a K-drama or a Korean drama that you're watching that you don't maybe fully relate to as in it's not your story, but there's some part of it that's relatable, mm. whether crying over grief, you know, or crying over the fact that you lost a job, whatever it is, we relate somehow and we cry with that person. Most, I, so I get just as emotional, probably more some. In fact, when people go, you cried in True Beauty, you probably didn't see, True Beauty's on Vicky. It was a high school drama in 2021. I cried probably every episode, not because it was sad, I was touched by something. Mm. So I make it clear that I tend to cry in Korean dramas more because I'm touched. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're a parent, you you feel something, you're like, oh, when the dad is gripping and kind of feeling sad about, there's a sad scene in between the dad and Youngwoo, and mm. you see the dad kind of feeling sad, maybe that he didn't quite get to Youngwoo's needs. And she didn't, she didn't make him feel bad, but not on purpose. But then she left and she kind of went, yep, yep, yeah, this would have helped me, dad. And then he kind of went, I teared at that moment, even though he wasn't tearful, he was just sad about something. And I was like, that hit me, you know, mm. and there's, and people will say, do I, and people will say, oh, do I have to explain how it hit me? Like why I get emotional or why I get mad? I go, no, we don't always, we can't always explain our emotions. So I say that with mental health, that's all about your emotions, but some of them are not the type that you go, this is why I got mad. <laughs> you don't have to do that. There's just ways of expressing it. And and if some, and usually I would say it's, I would say most of the time it makes you feel good when you're expressing it, even when you're crying. Mm. So yes, just as much, probably more so I'll cry, I cry more. That's why people look at me going, you cried in that one. I go, yeah, <laughs> something about the high school story made me cry. <laughs> it, it would be easy to cry if it's a story about a guy that loses his dog and then his mum dies of cancer and then his house burns that you're meant to it's meant to be sad i guess or something like mm -hmm. that you know like an american country song or something but in these k-dramas i completely agree with you in that that when it moves you it's because it's touching it's moving you in an emotional positive way it's not sort of this emotional blackmail it's not bombarding sometimes the Chang dramas will do that and they'll bombard you with these things but yeah. when we're watching these dramas these days it's more this uh, yeah you're touched by what you're seeing and the k dramas i think these dramas they do it so well I, I, and I'm not sure why it, 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 that is. Is it because, well, actually dramas all around the world do that, David, and, you know, Senegalese dramas do it and, and, and French ones do it. You're just not watching them. Or is there something, do you think, in these K-dramas where they're really able to bring out emotions in people? I'm doing my best to be impartial because, you know, of course, those are the dramas I, mo I mostly watch. Sure. K-drama. I don't even watch American television anymore. First of all, I don't have time for it because I make time for K-dramas. I think the reality is I do believe the production. Okay. So let's talk a little bit technicality of Korean dramas. They go all out making these dramas. Mm. The production, I guess, quality is amazing. So I think you have quality, right? And I mean, in, in some sense, I, I believe this, the Korean actors are really good at acting emotional. And what I love seeing, to be honest with you, is you see men cry all the time in K-drama, like mm. all the time. Mm. And, and and honestly, it doesn't seem like when people are like, oh, it's Makjong or Makjama. I'm like, no, actually, you cry with the men because you're like, oh, my gosh. Um, you don't normally see that, I would say, in American television. And so it's really refreshing to see that in K-dramas. In fact, some of them, sometimes they cry more than the women. You're just like, oh, my gosh, they're crying. And it wouldn't be a K-drama if there wasn't tears from a male. 
Mm. And so bringing that up, just to be honest with you, that also is another layer of emotion. I wish I could explain. And here's where I kind of feel like this disconnect sometimes. We're talking Korean society. And you brought in your last article about the, the things in Korean society. It's there's there's issues in any society. OK, but mm. in, in, in Korean society, I will say out of all societies or age or cultures, I, I think it's so fascinating that K-dramas are so good with these um, emotional expressions from mom and dads on the K-dramas. You know, they're like grippingly emotional, sad, whether angry or, or just like feeling this remorse. But in real life, it's not easy for Koreans to express their emotion. Mm. And I study that. Like I sit there going, okay, this is an amazing K-drama. Like, I, I mean, I would say the caliber of K-dramas in 2022, they've upped their game. Squid Game was one. Then Hometown, well, Hometown Cha Cha Cha, I think, ended around the same time. Then you have that one. But then you started off with 2022 with brilliant K-dramas. I mean, then aside from My Liberation Notes and Our Blues, just brilliant ones that are all about the emotional, the emotional, I guess, state mm. of the character and then their character growth, their development. So they're good story writers, if that makes sense. But I'm going to say a but, meaning... We get so much out of it globally and even the Koreans, but still, I don't know if I see that in real life. Right? Uh, yeah. Before we come to the 2521 would be another one, I think, that's done really well in that, is, that yep. like from this technical perspective, Jeannie, I, I see in K dramas, they'll show you the actors' faces for really long times and they don't say anything. And once you realize that, you're just looking, you're like, one second, two seconds, three seconds. You're counting it and it seems to be this technique. And of course, they're super beautiful or they're super handsome, whoever they are. But these huge long shots of them not saying anything. And I think you're meant to use your nunchi right, to <laughs> guess what's going on because it doesn't tell you what's going on in their mind. There's no inner narration for the most part. But I think that really kind of draws you into it. Um, there's so much I, I want to talk about, but I just want to stay on Ooyong for a little bit, just so we sure. dive well, yeah. into it. Um, uh, is Ooyong and I've suddenly forgotten her name because I didn't watch the episode, his name, Juno? Juno yeah, Juno. yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. They're going to get together, do you reckon? We we don't have any spoilers. Is, is it going to be a happy ending? That They've already kissed. Okay, so here's my thing. People are saying that. So 2521, without giving too much away, did some devastation, I would say. Especially, <laughs> I've heard it from my followers to this day. Mm. And I get that, right? Um, I, I guess to me, I thought it made sense, the ending. Now, let's talk about Uyongu, okay? Um, I think I'm a little nervous. I don't mm. know because I think the caliber of this drama, it could... It could be very realistic, you know, in some sense. And realistic could mean looking at the odds. Maybe there's the odds are technically, I wouldn't say against them, but just look at the odds or just yeah. look at the re reality of everything. However, because of the lightness of the drama, uh, that, you know, the upbeatness of the music, I have a good feeling mm. that, yes, it would end up. Maybe won't see them married, you know, because technically, I I don't know the last time I saw a wedding. Maybe it was hometown ta da What you see a wedding, you just see them together, and mm. that would be satisfying for I believe all the followers. You know, let's think about the followers. People love K dramas, or they have mostly for the tropes. Honestly, in fact, people go, "Oh, the tropes again." I go, "You say that, mm. but you know, you like the tropes. You like to see the love triangle and the happy ending, and then the kiss at episode eight. I'm just saying. And so I point, I call some people out, going, 
yes, you do like the tropes. Plus it's predictable. And that's another reason why K-dramas are popular. We kind of know what to expect without really knowing what to expect mm. in the main story. So that's my hope. And I believe that would be my prediction that we see that they beat those odds against society and that Juno has proven already the character he is. I think so. He's, you know, I mean, gosh, oh my gosh. You know, of course he's like the perfect good looking male and you just want that guy and you just see the nuance. He, do he doesn't say a lot. He does mm. a lot non-verbally. You see this stuff. He watches out for, you just see that and you're like, oh, and of course your heart melts. And of course that's a drawing for the entertainment value, but also the aspirational value of like, that is a really good guy. And, you know, and I have a lot of women followers. Can I find a guy like that? And I'm like, that's another reason I love K-dramas. It aspires you to find someone like that. Hmm. Not for less, you know? But anyway, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. Yes, I think it would be a good ending. I, I think that's what we'd expect. And that's what most people would expect. And he, he's a perfect character. The way, you know, it's just like the perfect guy, isn't it? Um, do you, you mentioned the kiss scene, like episode eight, things like that. The kisses are getting pretty intense in K-dramas, aren't they? Uh, it used to be like the whole series would culminate like with this peck on the lips like that, and that would yeah. be it. But you're uh -huh. watching Ooh Young Woo, there's like tongues and things going on. There's open mouths. It, it is, it, it is. And I will say, um, still, I would say on the PG, right? Hmm. B-level PG. But you're right, some of the, but some are still, okay, so I would say it's mixed, a mix now. I am seeing a little bit more uh, risque where there's actually one night stands in the first episode. Mm. That's for some of the really mainstream ones. And you're watching going, you pause and going, did that just happen? But there's some, okay, and maybe I'm biased again, but the way the K-dramas do it, it might be a one night stand, but it's it's very, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, subtle. Mm. Like, you know, there was a one night stand, but you don't see anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like, I think that happened. And then you kind of go, yeah, it did happen. And then they don't mention it the entire drama. It, I mean, there's it becomes part of the storyline, but not really where it's very explicit in American television. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. American movies. So I like that about K-dramas. And most people have said they like the fact that you can watch something and it's not so explicit aside from things like Squid Game, which is on the rarer side. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's what we see. GPG a little bit of more kissing in episode 10, 11, 12, that you're like, wow, they did three kisses. That's pretty much it still. Um, and I don't, and like my liberation notes, I thought if we're going to go a little bit more into the, you know, PG rated R, no, my liberation notes was one kiss and mm. barely, I, I, I looked back, you know? And so there you go. There's another K-drama that was just very recent that didn't do any of that, but yet there was love and romance, you know? There was that famous line from my liberation notes, worship me. <laughs> it's a, ooh, that's a powerful thing. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you mentioned TV programs from around the world. If you were, you know, just sitting by yourself, if you're a young person sitting by yourself watching, I don't know, Game of Thrones or something like the way, you know your parents or relatives are going to walk in when there's all this gratuitous, when there's boobs out and everything. They always walk in at that time. It's just Murphy's mm -hmm. Law. But if you're watching a K-drama, that's never going to happen. It, yeah. If they walk in, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's PG, it's middle class, it's it, it's really good for that. And so it, it, it's for the family. Um, there's been a lot of talk from uh, Uyongu about mental health, right? Because... Uh, it's dealing with a character 
with autism. And now a lot of your work before this has been about mental health and K-dramas. So when this one came out, you must have been, wow, this is... So can you can you give us Ooyang Oon, not from a, a romance and a kiss perspective or a, a genre melody perspective, but what about mental health, Jeannie? What is it doing anything right? Is it doing anything wrong? How do you take yeah. this? Well, so that's a big question. So let me do the best to answer that. Now, mental health, this is my belief. The definition of mental health is your emotional, social, and psychological well-being. It, I will say this, it is in every K-drama. Mm. Now, she has what is a mental health disorder, technically is the term. Autism is a mental health disorder. So it's a clear diagnosis. And, and I'm specifying that because we're seeing a clear mental health disorder play out. Mental health is in every little, mental health, for example, would be a family conflict we see in a K-drama or a husband and wife, a husband cheating on the wife or vice versa. That that affects your mental health. So I wanted to clarify that because people t tend to go, they separate it. I'm like, I don't separate it. I just I just happen to use K-dramas as a way to talk about it. So when I saw Woo Young Woo, so I actually go on the other end. When I see a K -drama, Korean drama or K-drama that is specifically talking about a mental health disorder, AKA mental illness, like I'll give you an example. It's okay to not be okay mm. is a huge hit in the in 2020. In mm. fact, it went pretty global too. Huge hit. It was definitely darker, darker, and it centered on mental illness as well. Mm. There was also somebody with high functioning autism on there too, but it was a very different tone. And I enjoyed it because it was well done, but it was not my favorite. Now, a lot of people assume, because I'm a therapist, those are my favorites. Those are actually tend to be, I'll be honest, least favorites because I do that for a living, <laughs> meaning that's kind of kind of what I see in real life or I deal with it in real life. I tend to watch K-dramas just like I promote for self-care, mm. for enjoyment to help me to also express my own emotions and be comfortable as I'm watching something. So young, uh, the Lee Sang-won piano so Woo young, uh, was not one of my, I was like, okay, strange attorney, okay, <laughs> but I, I function in autism. Eh, you know, more because I was thinking autism. And I'm being very honest. I was like, oh, okay, I, that's kind of what I do in real life. Do I want to see this? But I just happened to have one night free and decide, I'll just play it. It's on Netflix. It keeps popping up. You know how those Netflix algorithms? Yeah. I was like, play it. And immediately when, it just immediately, I think within with the first couple scenes, I just went, oh my gosh, wait, this is actually really good. But it wasn't so much, I was looking at her autism. I think I was looking at the general context of the whole story that hmm. she was, a lawyer um and you know at the beginning obviously trying to get a job right so it wasn't easy for her and then i loved her relation with her dad from the get-go and just knowing knowing hey he's a single dad so i was looking at things like he's a single dad hmm, interesting what's up with that so i was kind of trying to figure out that out and then her becoming a lawyer but then she was smart and you know when you want to see that right so you're, mm -hmm. you're like you went to Seoul national so right away just like any other viewer i was drawn into the hopeful factor the aspirational factor and not so much, this is my personal opinion, I wasn't so drawn into the fact that she had high functioning autism. To me, that was part of the story. And maybe for some, that just that was a huge part of the story. But because maybe what I do, I was more like, that's just her story. That's part of her story. But wow, look at everything else. Mm. And look at how she's interacting with this lawyer. And then, oh, look at this nice, good looking lawyer that was good to her. You know, sorry, he's a, um, he's a legal aid or something. But, you know, uh, Kang Teo, mm. uh, um, he was really good to her. I noticed that he taught her how to walk through the revolving doors. So I looked at the context of this character 
And, and maybe that's where my own, you see my own values coming in. I didn't focus on her mental health disorder, which is, I'm going to say is autism. That mm. wasn't the draw for me. And you have the characters teaching her to whoa, whoa, so, <laughs> right? which is, which All is, that, I'm enjoying that. That's yeah. showing that, Hey, we could help you out a little bit socially. Let's not make it awkward. You know, you see in real life, the opposite sometimes happen. They're like, oh, did, oh, she did. Okay. They did something awkward. You know what I'm talking mm, about? Mm. We don't know how to handle it. So we're not going to handle it. And then it becomes this elephant in the room that actually makes it more stigmatic. Mm. So I actually welcome the fact that the show says stuff like, whoa, whoa, stop repeating yourself. Don't do that. You know what I mean? And, and then her, the attorney, fellow attorney female, she walks away going, I don't want to hear about whales and walks away. I kind of like that too, because I think that's realistic going, oh my gosh, stop talking about whales already. Mm. And it's not this, um, you know what I mean? It's not like this uncomfortability going, oh gosh, you're talking about whales or you're sitting there listening because you have to, because you feel bad for the autistic adult. No. So I think that is all normalizing. So I like the way they're doing that. I, I want to talk to you about the titles of these things after this, but one, one question here, like mm -hmm. uh, first wave K-dramas, they were sort of the Cinderella story, this kind of rags to riches from, you know, there was this poor girl down and out and this kind of like modern Yangban who's going to raise her up and do that. Right. But that's what they were. And, and, and they really worked. Um, this kind of my fair lady, this socialization that takes place. Is that going to happen with Uyongu? Because we've seen her adapting to society. So we talked about the romance of this. I think from episode one to now, you can see when we're recording this, I think it's up to about episode 11 or 12 at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, 13 she, or 14, actually. 13, <laughs> I've been busy the last couple of days. I just saw the, uh, the, the women's rights feminist one and the literature. Yeah. Um, We've seen her slowly adapt to society, right? She's she's getting better. She's walking through doors, interacting with people, learning this. Is it going to be this situation where, or maybe not completely, but it's through the help of Juno, she becomes better over this? And would that be a good thing? Or is she going to remain who she is? I'm not sure if my question is clear to you, but... I think, I think it is, and let's see if I can answer it the best way. I was going to say... It really, it would be great if they, the storyline stayed realistic, where it's not a Cinderella, like she's all of a sudden like, got it. No, mm. that to me would not do it justice. So I'm really hoping not. Mm. In the latest episode without giving too much to you, she clearly still showed much awkwardness. And this is episode 13, to the mm. point that we're laughing as viewers, not laughing at her, almost laughing with her. Juno's a little bewildered. And, um, but what she did was, I would say, a classic uh, autistic trait of repeating something that someone told her, literally, uh, literally, not figuratively, you know what I mean? The mm -hmm. literal version. And I think that was very realistic, but this is episode 13. So it was, it was like a, like a funny, sad, moving moment, where, but it was realistic. So I saw it as, I'm, I go, I'm like, that's true to her character. If that makes sense. Mm. Like, I don't think it's going to be fair or even realistic if um, she all of a sudden got everything and knew how to walk through a revolving door. And even as a couple episodes ago, she was struggling with walking through the revolving door still. Mm -hmm. I think I remember that. I noticed those nuances because I think those are real. Like, I would think that would be weird if she's like, oh, I got that's weird. You still struggle. And so just like we still struggle in real life of our own, our own like demons, right? Mm. We have all of our own demons and baggage. 
I tell folks, this is how I counsel folks, there's no way you're going to overcome, I don't know, 15 years of this because you've struggled with it. It's going to take time and it's something you're always going to struggle with, but you're going to get better at dealing with it or it becomes less of a struggle, but don't think it's going to be completely like done, you know? And I think that's what I mean by Yongwu. She She's not going to stop being autistic. So mm. I hope that that doesn't disappear. That would not really be doing, I guess, uh, justice at all to that population, you know, and that would, then that would be very unrealistic. And then I would see an outcry, like what just happened. Right. I, I, I get that. Is the revolving door a symbol or a metaphor for something? So she's going through, gung, tack, tack, gung, tack, tack. she's taught how to waltz for it, which is a very uh, fluid movement. Um, is it a, is it a symbol for her world and 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 the other world and and like social world? Is it something that she has to learn to navigate, or is that is, is so it just cool. a revolving door? That's a cool question. I don't think I thought about it that deeply, you know. Um, but it could be because I know that they do all the symbolism all the time and abstract concepts in Korean dramas and K dramas. I don't. I didn't even think about that. But I guess I could see that. But I also see it as that simple symbol of, uh, I tend to be a little bit more simple. It was like a moment where she struggled. And that is our first drawn to that character, Kang Deo, being mm. patient of doing something so unique of having her, because rhythm does help, you know, mm. uh, uh, autistic, uh, autistic persons to deal with that kind of think very rhythmically. Let me do this. Mm. Let me hear this. Music wise, that's why music is very powerful, music therapy. So I thought that was more of like realistic that it just made sense. I didn't think that deeply of it, her going through the real world or anything, but that could be a possibility. But here, I still think it's realistic that she would still have trouble going through the door. It's that a she would still go around and that someone might have to rescue her or she figures it out one day. Maybe that will be the final episode where she goes and does it once. At this point, it's ambu ambiguous whether or not she's actually done it on her own. Mm. If you think about it, David, you just, you know, made me think about that. One common story arc is uh, in like the, the templates is that the hero goes on a journey. They go through a portal or they go through something to another world, right? It's Alice in Wonderland. It's through the mirror, those kind of things. And so that revolving door is that portal into her other world where, where perhaps she's the hero. You just mentioned something about music being helpful. Now, I, I know some people that do music therapy, but I don't know much about it. And there was the, uh, I think it might've been episode three where a an, another character i think with autism correct me if i'm wrong but was very yeah. much a big fan of pengsu yeah uh, and the way that they were able to interact uh with this character was through music mm -hmm. so i i don't know could you just perhaps say something about the use of music and allowing people to use music as uh, and i'm sorry if my language is wrong like coping mechanisms or survival techniques oh, or yeah um, that is another, uh, let's add that to the K-drama, uh, I guess, uh, uh, accolades. K-dramas have beautiful OSTs that are so memorable. Mm. Music is very powerful coping skill. If I, so when I talk about the five senses, when folks are anxious or need to self-soothe, just all of us, there are times when we're very stressed, we need to understand what it looks like to self-soothe. Think mm. of your hearing, your ear is a, is a fifth sense, right? Or one of the five sentences. Five senses. I'm like, you need to enhance that. Most of it, most of the time people turn to music, right? There's other things you could turn to, but music is a very good go-to. So think of the K-drama, beautiful OSTs that we equate a character with. Dun, 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 dun. Goblin has a beautiful OST. And then Pengsu, 
yes, he was on the other end of the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. She's on the high end, he's on the lower end. And that, that is a universe. Music is a universal language. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So we have different languages, Korean, Chinese, English, whatever, but music, everyone can listen and understand in the sense of the notes. Right. And I think, especially when you're on the low end of the autistic spectrum, you, you know, literally gravitate to something just like Yoma does Bop and what she does, her routines. He clearly, that was his thing. He wore the shirt. So she knew just by seeing that. In fact, I knew too. We all knew. We're like, okay, he likes that character. Clearly mm. he's wearing that. He's acting that out. And that is a way to bond. And yeah, and I, and the best way I can give you also with music, it helps memory. So for instance, Alzheimer's patients, they may literally forget everything, but remember music, like mm. a song from like their 20s and they're 85 years old. And I witnessed it with my grandmother. I say that because I also witnessed it firsthand. She couldn't remember any of us, none of us, none of her kids, none of our parents, none of us, our grandkids, none of them. Mm -hmm. But then when we asked her to sing her favorite song that she sang, I believe she sang it at one of her grandchildren or sorry, one of her kids with my aunt and uncle wedding, she sang it. And that was like 50 plus years ago. Wow. And she would sing that song. So I know that music can have that, you know, it just ingrained in us and it can bond us together. So that's what I mean. And then there are music therapists, actual literally, literally trained music therapists. I'm not one of them, but music is so powerful as a, as a coping mechanism, as a coping skill, as a coping tool. And we can all remember lyrics of songs from when we were 15, 16. We can't remember what we did yesterday or something, but yeah, they, they yeah. stick there, don't they? And you know what I'm talking about? The K-drama OST, it'll stick in your head. You're like, what am I singing? Dun, 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 dun. And then yeah. they were like, oh, young. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah. I, I think I might have mentioned it to you at some point, but I really like the drama Chief of Staff and I hated the OST. It just had the worst one ever. That's interesting. Um, maybe that's why I didn't do as well. I'm maybe. just kidding. I, I didn't see that one. <laughs> Shin Minar and Lee Jong Jae, like two two huge stars. That's true. That's true. I don't know why I didn't want to watch it. And maybe it's, it's the, the genre. Politics. Yeah, yeah. You, you just... You just taught me this really nice word, self-soothe. I've never heard that before. I just made a note of that one. Um, I want to ask you about titles. Earlier, you mentioned it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And and now we're talking about Extraordinary Attorney U. Now, mm -hmm. these two dramas, their Korean names mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, from memory, Psycho Diman Quintana, which is, in, if you translate that, it's, I'm a psycho, but it's okay. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I was going to get that for you. I know Psycho was in there or Michinom or something was in there. Yes, crazy. <laughs> or, maybe it was the Michinom, <laughs> but it was definitely like a turnoff. Yeah, I had to say that. It was, it was definitely a turnoff. Like what? But yeah. I like the American name. So most of the time you hear me always use the American name, right? The English version, because it's just easier and everybody knows sure, it universally. Sure. But yeah, I actually forgot that at one point until someone said it to me in Korean. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, thanks for reminding me that that's what it's called. That's terrible. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's not so much, I, I don't think, for you, Junie, because you'd pick it up. But I think for many, like when they're translating these things for international fans, which is real, I mean, Korean people are watching one that they understand as weird attorney ooh. Yeah. And for the international fans, it's extraordinary which right. has such a more positive nuance, right? It does. So it resonates. Yeah. And, and and the Korean ones are watching, um, what was it? So yeah, do you in that one? Oh, I forget the actress maybe in that one. It's okay to not be okay. But oh Kore yeah, so yeah, do you got her, yeah. Korean people are watching that as she's a psycho. It, it's yeah. in the title. I'm a psycho, but it's okay. And yeah. it, in the West, it's, it's okay to not be okay. So it's really interesting how those, that they're, they're changed in nuance really heavily, I think. 
I think it has, and I agree with you. I will share, because I'd like to read up on everything. The screenwriter for attorney Woo, Young Woo, explained she actually created that. She said she wanted it to be extraordinary. So mm. I didn't know that the screenwriter had a say. You, you learn a lot. And that was an yeah. interview that she said. And she literally said, that word came to mind and I thought it made sense, which is so funny, extraordinary, he's hung on. But you know what? I, I had to do it further. I did some research. I went to the Webster Dictionary. Yeah. I did some dictionary searches. Extraordinary can also mean bizarre. Yeah. Kind of close to, you know, strange or is hung on. It's just, but I also think it, Korean culture, American culture, Western culture, very different. So mm. we wouldn't like going strange attorney. It, we, I mean, extraordinary made sense. And maybe is hung on makes sense. I want to respect our cultures, right? I don't want to say, why'd you name it that? I just went, that's an interesting name. Hmm. But then when she explained it, it made sense to me in her interview. She's like, no, I thought extraordinary. I wasn't trying to stray from Lee Sang-an. That's, mm. that's actually what I envisioned Yongu to look like, like be that extraordinary. And I thought that makes sense to me. So just hearing from the writer itself helps, right? You've definitely taught me something there. I, I think I'd still... I'd, I'd feel comfortable calling, for example, one of my professors extraordinary. I wouldn't feel comfortable calling the visa right? to their faces. Yeah, and it's an insult when you say someone's like, <laughs> I say it, I'm like, oh, Isanga, I don't know. You know, we're not, we don't mean to be nice about it. So, yes, I, that got some criticism early on because I did read about I mean, I know that there's always, there's, there's some hoopla around this drama, right? Mm. I know it got some criticism from actually autistic folks that were like, yeah. You called it Isangan Sadam. Okay, way to you know, way to really just mm. stigmatize it. So I get that. You know, it's 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 all. But again, it's all about the nuance of language and there's culture involved here that sure. we have to and understand too. So. And there'll be hot takes on anything. You could write a song about world peace and loving everybody and unity, and somebody would have a hot take that it's wrong. Yeah, um, it, no, no matter. <laughs> that's Everywhere. what people do. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to talk about some other reactions to this Uyongu. so like some of your posts on social media i saw them they're, they're getting tens of thousands so you're getting lots of feedback from you know not just yourself watching this but other people have you noticed anything about what other people are saying about uh this Uyongu drama or, or who's liking it or, or some of the things coming yeah. to you through these social media channels genie Oh, totally. Uh, this this has been, I would say, one of the hottest that I've seen. Now, I thought my liberation notes and our blues was 2521, the red sleeve. I'm going backwards. Hometown Tachita was a huge mm. phenomenon. This definitely has surpassed it, I would say. Um, no, the feedback I'm getting is similar to my feeling, which is they like that it's hopeful. They feel hopeful. They're learning more about the population or they want to learn more. So I see mainly good. Now, like you said, there's always been hot takes. I call them haters, people who are going to be like, this sucks. And I actually respect some of the feedback coming from the autism population. Mm -hmm. They have a right to say stuff, you know, just like I'm a therapist and I see something on mental health and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to watch that. Right. So I get that. But overall, I think the reason why some of those posts have blown up and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I try very hard. If I'm going to talk about mental health, I'm realistic when I'm talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, but as a global, uh, as to, to, to reach the global following, I'm going to do my best to err on the side of um, hopefulness uh, because our brain already tends to be negative. Like we go to all the problems out there. We'll point out what one person did wrong when they did 50 things right. And we'll look at the mm. one thing wrong. Mm. I don't want to contribute to that because obviously my whole thing is I'm trying to help your mental health. So why would I sit there going, this sucks. Now in reality, I'm much more realistic with clients I work with and saying, Hey, let's, let's get better at this. And if you DM me, 
which I've gotten DMs and I'm able to respond back. I'll be realistic on the response, but, but it's not saying I'm not authentic on the post. I just make sure that I contribute in a way that I believe is a little bit on the upside. And so all, all these posts, I'll make sure about thinking, okay, what's the meme? And yeah, but I had to do, I'm continuing on. I'm trying to think, okay, I got to do something again on Yongo because I'm enjoying it. So whatever you see me talking about, it's because I'm enjoying it. And there, are, trust me, I get lots of DMs like, well, aren't you seeing this? And I'm like, no. And I, I point that out. I go, I am a K-drama lover, but first of all, I'm busy. So I don't have time for everything. And I will prioritize the dramas I want to see. Now, there are a couple times I've seen some dramas based on the followers that go, Jeannie, this is about suicide. This is tomorrow. I did see that one because I was, that's kind of my, uh, I focus on, you know, grief and trauma. So I was like, let me, let me watch this one because it might help my work. Mm. And I was actually, it was actually very well done, but I will say it out there after each couple episodes, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not in a good place. I got to watch. I, I usually go back to hometown, cha -cha -cha, or reply 1988. My favorite mm. one's going, let me just see a rerun of this to decompress. So Yes, this is super. Younglu is super popular. I am. I do believe it's going to keep going on for those. I, I think for those who haven't watched it, they're like, okay, I think I have to watch it now because it's not just you, Jeannie, but everyone's binging this and everyone's talk. I'm like, yeah, it's and you know what? It's doing well in Korea too. So I don't. I want to point that out. Some dramas do well globally, where you have global followers of like this mm. phenomenon, but it's not that popular in Korea. This happens to be equally kind of getting that same amount of hoopla, whether it's good or bad. But always mm. you're going to have negativity but it's getting a it's doing really well in korea and i think i'm really happy about that too so whenever i like a drama too i like seeing that it's doing well in its actual country <laughs> that's just really important to me too and it's like people are watching it at the same time because it's coming out on korean television maybe one day before netflix i think yeah. but it's it's that togetherness i think yeah, yeah. when yeah, they're doing that's it why everybody's and now and i'm a behind an episode as of today so I have to be careful not going on social media because there's going to be spoilers. But no, it is a here's the other thing. It brings a global, uh, I guess, global folks around the world together. Mm. We're watching one show. Now, there's many shows out there. But do you know how many people watching Yongu? There's a lot of folks watching it. So think of that, bringing the world together, watching a story that they find entertaining and I think interesting, you know? And that's not full of violence and, and, and sex and drugs. It, I mean, we talked about that at the beginning. It's just a pretty uplifting story. It doesn't, it's not a Disney fairy tale. There are problems and it, it doesn't shy away from them, but it does it in perhaps like you, it, it looks at some positives. You mentioned, we should probably talk about some other K-dramas while we're here. <laughs> sure. Because I think the K-dramas are getting better. I don't believe always that commercial success and critical success go hand in hand you know you could be number one on the charts but it could it could not be very good you know it could be avatar or it could be a song that's just yeah, really um yeah. i think irrespective of the commercial success uh the the quality of k dramas is getting much better i don't think that's always the same in things like k-pop actually it's one of my hot takes that the commercial and critical things are, are not quite there but that I think they are getting better in K-dramas. You've mentioned Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha a couple of times. I didn't finish that, but I, I, I watched some of it. My mum loved it. Um, mm. She didn't like Squid Game. That was too violent for her. But she was like, I really like Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. And in a similar way, I guess, that's um, whereas Oo Young-Woo 
was going into this different world that she had to adapt to. In Hometown Cha Cha Cha, that was Shin Mina going into this world where, you know, she'd run around the, 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 the island or the countryside in a crop top and people would be shouting <laughs> at her and things like that. Yeah. Tell us about Hometown Cha 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 and, and what that does, right? What, what's that one, Jeannie? Yeah, and you know what? I'm also going to point out. Let's let's also mention this, and you mentioned it with the actors looking pretty or handsome. That does help, right? You're and and getting popular actors. So Shin Mina, super popular, very well known. But then you also have Kim Sono, who literally shot up to catapulted to fame after Startup, which was actually a very good drama. Mm. He's a very good actor, and so that is why people are tuned in first. You got to get the you got to get the appeal of the actors, right? The yeah. star power. Then you get a good storyline of a seaside town that was very pretty. Now, one of the highlights of my Korea trip was, and I think I saw, yeah, I went to Kong, I went to Pohang before I saw you. It was beautiful. So I visited. That's how much of a fan I am of hometown Cha Cha Cha. I was like, if I'm going to Korea, I ain't leaving the country till I go to Pohang. <laughs> and, and I remember, I kid you not, my parents who grew up in Korea, they're like, why would you go to Pohang? It's like, it's such, it's like they go, they go, it's boring it's like no mm. that's industri industrial seaside town and i went yeah but it has my favorite k-drama or one of my favorite k-dramas so i went with my husband and we hunted down the locations and and i will tell you fans loved it because you get to see it that is another cheerful one even with the music the mm. so just like um young it's like a cartoon animation uh intro and then you have the music which is very catchy you can remember the music like la 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 la. Okay, I don't want to sing it, but people remember that for months. And again, the premise was very light from the get go. Yes, she had some. So if you're talking about Young and even Hometown Cha Cha serious issues dealing in the K drama, you're talking about there's some trauma going on in Hometown Cha Cha. Young also dealing with some tough cases. So I'm not. So there's seriousness there, but it's done in a way that we can watch it and be like, it's still enjoyable and comfortable, you know. And that's why your mom loved it. It's like. It's comfortable to watch the, you know, the Korean word, pyana, I like using that word. You mm. just feel, ah, let me turn it on. That is why I, my hometown touch is one of my go-tos and I actually prefer clients to watch that. So it's one of my favorites. Definitely a really good one. I was getting a lot of uh, requests to do discussions and talks about Squid Game when that came out. And I was always like, could we do one about hometown cha-cha-cha? Because I thought it would have been really interesting to look at what was going on there with ideas of gentrification and, uh, and abuse in the dentistry world and things like oh, that. Yeah, I, there's a lot, a lot of messages there, yeah. I thought no, there was some good stuff. I, I guess you, you've touched on this. What K-dramas do is they get two really big stars and it's mm -hmm. just like shipping them together. It's just putting, okay, we've got this person and this person, let's put them together. And yeah. so it reminds me of like fantasy football growing up where you would construct mm -hmm. your perfect team or something like that. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, soccer. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh, by the way, I, I want to make this point before. You keep saying, I'm not going to sing it, but then you keep singing these theme tunes. And I, I know, I know, because they're in my head. I just can't help it. La, la, la. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to sing it, and then you sing it. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> Our Blues, Our Blues gets two of the biggest stars, right? That gets Shin Mina and Yi Pyong on. But uh, even more than that, you got Kim Woo-bin. Yeah, you got an all-star oh, cast. Om Jong-hwa so. is in there as well, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, you're right. The caliber of K-dramas, and I've heard this from non-Koreans, non-Asians, hmm. who are recent K-drama watchers, they go, 
Jeannie, we also watch K-dramas because, wow, the caliber of the production. You're like watching a film, yeah. but it's a 16-episode drama. And I'm like, you're right, because the budgets are pretty big. Um, our Blues was also, I mean, I'm, you're right. I, 2022, I thought 2021 was a brilliant year of dramas. Then I'm like, 2022, never mind. I think I just, okay, my Liberation Notes just kind of trumped this one that was on my top fave. I keep switching my top faves, so I still have the top ones that I keep mm. up there. Because they're so good, and I'm just—I'm not saying production value. I'm saying the story, and the actual like what grips you, you know, and how relatable they are. I, I, I believe this. Everyone can relate to some part of the story, and it's universal. Whether, mm -hmm. like I said, whether it's some sort of history that traumatized you that you're trying to overcome, trying to you know prove yourself as a dentist and start your own practice. All of that is relatable, and you want to see at the end. This is this is what I believe helps your mental health. You do want to see not just the underdogs of seas, you do want to see those stories. Now, Squid Game, even at the end, technically has a good ending, as in what we perceive would be like a hero, you know what I mean? So mm. even that was like, ah, oh, okay. I'm pointing that out because I tell people the dramas that get blasted for uh disturbing folks, like 2521, is a classic example of why it's blasted, that people still want whether they they admit it or not, those hot takes or haters, they're like, mm. yeah, that's so unrealistic, that happy ending. But then they want that. <laughs> so I always point that out going, you want that. And it does help your mental health because you feel good when you see it because we need to see that. Mm. It's like Because real life is very different. So you do want to see that hope and you hope that happens. And that's why 2521 has, still has that talk to this day because the ending was not quite satisfactory, if that makes sense there's demand for realism but when the realism comes people are like no just a bit more fantasy please just exactly. a bit more exactly and i call them out to my followers but also to my clients going okay but you just said that you don't want that they're like okay <laughs> so i'm like so what do you mean you, you know so yeah mm. yeah you just mentioned the production values which are super high by the way uh they're like films and i think that's one of the things that most k content does whether it's uh k-pop k-movies the, the the investments and the money going into these things it's like watching high level you never feel like you're watching something that's amateur in terms of the te technology or things like that it's super polished which is great um yeah. i want to talk just very briefly about the beauty of these people because take for example my liberation notes which i i thought was very good um and i thought it was very good because it seemed to promote or push to the front what would previously be side characters these weren't the very charismatic or brilliant but they were just kind of day-to-day -day workers on their boring mundane lives and the story focused on them rather than these hugely weird charismatic people but what i still noticed in that one uh is that and there's this line that i love everyone is beautiful but no one is horny and <laughs> in in these k-dramas I never normally see anyone that's not super hot. Like if I watch British television, I see bald people, I see fat people, I see people with weird teeth. Do you know what I mean? I see myself yeah. sometimes a bit more. In <laughs> in K dramas, like the 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 level of beauty, in my personal opinion, is super high. I agree. What's your take? I mean, like tell totally. us about the beauty. So I okay. So I, I have a lot of women followers. So it's uh, generally they 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 love watching K dramas. Of course they do. They're K drama mm. lovers. Occ occasionally and yes, we talk about it. The the level of K 
K-Beauty, the standards, the standards are extremely, I would say, high or maybe teetering unrealistic, you know? And I'm not going to go into the reality of what these actors do to, you know, beautify themselves. I'm not going to go into that, but I want to see what we see perfection pretty much mm. on the screen. And I think it's important that uh, we're aware of that. Because I've said to some folks where they struggle, they go, yeah, I love K-Dramas, but then I think, well, I'm never going to get someone who looks like that. I'm like, well, yeah, because that's an actor. You know, so they're just trying to be visually appealing to you because you want to watch someone good looking, I'm assuming, right? Generally speaking, you know, you're like, oh, wow. And you want to fangle over that. But I tell folks, they their self-image, I would say, um, self-image issues can come up from some K-dramas, you know? Mm. The not only beauty face, but you see a stick thin, beautifully perfect body. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so people know and they, and they get triggered. And so that's the reality. And we will we will talk about that occasionally, but then I guess what trumps that sometimes as they get triggered going seeing, oh, well, I don't I don't look that look that like that. I'll never look like her. They what I tell them to focus on is the reality what's realistic in the K dramas are actually mm -hmm. the character's feelings or the fact that, you know, her dad and her have trouble. People relate to that. I need you to look at that. That's realistic. Because people have said to me, um, K dramas are unrealistic. I go, I disagree. I go, what you're seeing as in a chebo driving up in a Porsche. Yeah, okay. That's but that we like that. We think that's cool. But that is the entertainment factor. And mm. it is a drama at the end of the day. I always say, hey guys, isn't there a reason why it's called a drama? It's gotta be a little dramatic to catch our appeal. Mm. They gotta get the ratings. But all the storylines, their emotions, their faces, if you look at what they're experiencing, the bullying and all the very serious issues, those are all realistic. So that's what I say. I say, can we can we reframe that? It's like a reframe of when you're watching something, not just look at their beautiful, beautiful faces, just kind of know that's part of it, but you're really looking at the character. And actually, most people agree. They're like, you're right. What draws me in is actually the character of Kung Tao. Mm. Yes, he looks appealing, but at the end, we're falling in love with him, taking care of young and the way he does this. And I go, correct. That's what I need you to look at. And that's, you know, that's, but again, the Korean beauty standards, oh, that's, that would probably be if I had to go in the insider of the drama, I think it's a little bit too high, you know, even my, I myself watch going, yeah, how, what are they doing to their skin? I really, I'm like, oh, I got to go get some K beauty, but yeah, we're human. And we, we watch that and kind of compare ourselves, you know? I always think when I'm watching, I need to go for a run and put on a face mask or something like this. I watch it and go, wow, I need to, I need to hit the gym. I need yeah. to do some but exercise. You have good skin. You have good skin. But yeah, we watch and they have flawless skin, but that's also makeup on screen. So I also tell people yeah. that too, you know? And, um, but yes, Korean, I think Korean standards are very high. Beauty standards are very high. And it's just like us, we, we, we filter photos or we get our best sides oh, when yeah. we present ourselves. We don't put our ugly, you know, photos online. That's that's how it works. Um, one of the ways, talking about the ways K-dramas are changing, Jeannie, and, and we said they're getting better. We both seem to agree on that. Um, one of the ways they might change, particularly with Netflix's influence and, and, and demand being so high now, is perhaps the arrival of second seasons. And, and K-dramas have never normally done this for the most part. It's just one shot, one kill, bang, 12 to 16 episodes, storyline is finished, and then we'll make another one and get all these different actors in around. I wonder, yeah. do you have any thoughts on, you know, there's there's huge demand. And when we talk about like a second season of Squid Game, I'm like, all the characters I like are dead. Like, what are you gonna, exactly. What are you going to do here? Like, it's it's... 
is it going is the international success of k-dramas is it going to change k-dramas fundamentally in a way are you worried about second seasons or is it just the more the better i'll be honest i don't think i don't like the more the better mm. um i definitely love how squid game catapulted global phenomenon and really put i guess korea or korean culture or korean dramas on the map i'm half i'm thankful about that it's mm. it Good game, a very graphic one, but but again, it appealed to the mass. Um, uh, but no, I am not a second season kind of person. Now it worked for American television, it, mm. it just because I was used to that. But for Korean dramas, I can't do it. Like you, you can't imagine that. And I always feel like second seasons are flops. But I'm trying to think of a now. Yumi Cells Two did pretty well. Mm. Um, I don't know how well compared to you myself, but I just, but they're going to come up with another season. I'm a little like, what is going on? So I think, again, I go from the old school mentality of it was great to be one and done. And that was the appeal of gay traumas. You knew exactly. Oh, if I'm binging, I know it's going to end at episode 20. There's some mm. the finality of that is helpful, even for our mental health to know that don't know that it ends, believe it or not. It's like, Oh, it's oh, that was oh, it's over, and you have this little bit of like a depression of of like missing out on your favorite teen drama. Then you move on. There's mm. more. So I am I um so I'm saying the jury's still out. If you can prove to me, maybe in ten years, but I I'm a little worried about it watered down. But that's me being so protective of like the original originality of key dramas. Mm. So yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but I would say no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I can't think of a second season that I was eager to watch. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think. Squid Game? I don't even know how they're going to do that. Because no. all our favorite characters are, are dead. I, I mentioned Chief of Staff was my favorite one. And, and then it finished. I was like, great. And they made a second season. I was just like, no, it's, you know, it, it's oh, finished. Know this is just, season, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Sometimes you, you need to let a good thing go. I mean, I'm from the UK. We had The Office and that was two seasons. And in America, I think you've made like 16 seasons of it or something it's, it's yeah, commercial yeah commercial interests i think drive this and and fan love it's understandable um can we talk a little bit please Jeannie, about mental health because this is one of the things that you do and you work yeah. professionally in it and i don't so if some of my terms around this are a little bit inaccurate please you know understand okay. what you do perhaps particularly unique is that you look at k-dramas through the lens of mental health and when I think about K-dramas, I'm not immediately going to be thinking of mental health and therapy and counselling and sangdam and things like this. It, it, it's just not what immediately comes to mind. So I think it's a very interesting and unique thing that you do. First of all, how did you come to, and I want to talk about what you actually do, because I'm still curious about that, but how did you come to the idea of, hey, K-dramas and mental health, let's put those two things together? It it originally stemmed from literally the fact that I love K-dramas myself as a therapist. It's yeah. my own passion, but I didn't just say I like doing it. I, I like watching it. I go, you know what it helps me with my mental health. I bet you it helps with other people. So I knew I was like thinking that for a while, but it literally came about by accident when I used it in a therapy session. Mm. I literally used it without divulging too much, but it was like a parent and child or teen struggling i'm in a family session i'm struggling to get my point across it's a tough session which i sometimes can deal with right we're talking about mental health family conflict which is what you see in k-dramas so i just happened to casually mention are you watching watching k-dramas by any chance and by the way this wasn't a korean family you know it was a chinese american family they're like yeah like i got the attention of girl right away mm, mm. i was like huh reply 1988 are you watching and uh, she was like 
Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so here's what your homework is. You're going to watch it with your mom. And I think I might have assigned episode. I still don't remember episode 12 was the later episodes. I go, you're going to watch it together. Mm. And then I want you to come back and talk to me about maybe what you learned or what you discovered. You know, I, I, I actually said, all you do is watch it together, but you don't, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to talk to your mom. Cause at that point there was, it was a struggle. I was like, don't worry about it. You don't have to sit there hashing it out. Just come to me and let's discuss it. Well, it worked like a charm. Meaning the mom shared a perspective, the teen shared a perspective, and they both, again, their own perspectives, but they understood each other through that K-drama and were able to talk in session. So that was just the beginning where I started going, this is interesting. Mm. I, I started doing it. And I, I would say more and more, I started assigning things as homework. Now, there were times I'd pull up my phone going, hold on a second. Okay. Say, okay. I need you to watch episode seven. I go, it's okay if you don't understand exactly what's going on. Cause I'm not going to ask you to watch the whole episode, but our uh, whole K-drama, watch this. So I started using it more and more, and then I started building it into workshops. And I work with a lot of college students. And at the height of the pandemic, sorry, right before the pandemic, I started bringing up more and more in workshops with college students. But right when the pandemic hit, we were watching Startup. Startup kind of hit, mm. I think, toward the end of the uh, end of 2020. I forget. But I remember that was a huge hit. And I brought it up going something like, hey, you guys, there's a great scene in Startup about what you're talking about. They're like, huh? I go, yeah. And so I, I tied it in. I go, you know what? Next work, next session, because I was doing consecutive sessions with them. Let me bring in the scene. Let's talk about it. I kid you not. I'm, I think there were double the amount of students that showed up on Zoom. I was like, interesting. But it was through the students that went, you need to like put some of this on YouTube. I go, um, yeah, I'm not a YouTuber. Like, you know, I don't do that. But that is how it slowly started because I had all this stuff and I had, was compiling it all with past K-dramas, things I was watching. And why I started realizing it was a good tool, and again, it's just a tool, mm. uh, like one of the tools I used, it was a way of breaking the ice on talking about mental health. It was breaking the ice on talking something serious about mental illness, like depression. So it was nice to break through that by going, there is a good scene in Our Blues, for instance, where it shows, you know, Shin Minas character really struggling. That is clinical depression. So I break it down. They're like, interesting. Oh, I just, okay, I saw that scene. Oh, that's depression. It just helped people visualize it, externalize it. These are all mm. like terms in therapy to help them process what they're experiencing without making it too much of like a stigma. Like it's not so much about me. They're watching someone else's story and going, ah, I'm able to make able to make a connection. Just like any media or film, not just K-dramas, right? But I happen to use that because I mainly work with APIs, but even non-APIs, let me tell you, non-Asian Pacific Islanders, they amazingly will know K-dramas. In fact, I have so many fans that are non-Asian that I'm like, I didn't see that one. What's that? What? I never heard of that. That's neat too. Cause then I can also make those connections and they just get so blown away by what they see. It's not Korean culture so much. Yes, it's Korean culture, but also the stories, right? That are broken down. So that's a long winded way of me answering how I use it, but it's now become a big part of my work. So mm. I have therapy practice. So yes, I am that typical Sangdam, right? Counselor providing that therapy, but I'm ha I have a clinical background. So it's much more focused on things like suicide and trauma, where at which I'm trained in. So it's heavy duty stuff that I do, you know, on a clinical level, but on a broader scale, I am a corporate speaker. So I'll go into these organizations um, that are literally around the world, but whether it's in person or uh, via Zoom and talk about mental health. And occasionally I'll bring in a K-drama. In fact, that was in a keynote I did recently and I posted about it because it was the first keynote I did that brought in a K-drama. So I was just saying, hey, I'm going global here. <laughs> I'm gonna bring a K-drama. If you're gonna hire me to speak and if I think it works, I'm gonna bring in a Korean drama. 
and that's just me also showing pride in my culture, mm -hmm. you know, my original culture, which, you know, and I've shared this multiple times on social media, I, I was not proud of growing up because I just really didn't care for it, you know? So that's a whole nother story, but we could talk about that. But that is why you see my passion talking a lot about identity, culture, and that directly ties to your mental health. Mm. We'll definitely get to identity. Just on mental health, Jeannie, when you, you mentioned words like uh, visualize or internalize and things like this, is it that when you, for example, you assign an episode or, or in a workshop, you say, let's watch this scene together. Is it then because people are able to talk about, let's say what this character is doing and this character is doing and this character is feeling rather than talking about themselves or their own problems with their families, rather than talking to their mom and saying, you do this to me and I don't like it. They're instead able to say the mom does that to that character and that's not good. Is it, is that what's taking place in terms of mental health? It, it's less direct and it's more, I don't know, Terry Manjok vicariously through those characters. It's, it's, so it's kind of like that where um, sometimes when you're going through something and you know it's difficult or you know that you can't talk to your own daughter and it's just like, ah, it, you see it play out in a scene in a K-drama, you actually can see an example of maybe what the mom does in the K-drama that you're like, oh, oh, so that's what my daughter's thinking. You know, in a K-drama, we see everything behind the scenes, right? We mm. see that the daughter is mad at her mom, which is an example, and the mom is crying behind the scenes. But in real life, the mom doesn't cry in front of the daughter. You know, Asian families, they don't show their emotions per se, or the mom just goes, you are grounded, mm. bye, you're in trouble. See ya, slams the door on her daughter and daughter's like, my mom, I hate my mom, right? But then you don't you see the mom crying in the K-drama and being like, oh, I, I feel like a terrible mom, it's because of me. What I try to get at is you're seeing a side of a story of somebody in your real life that you don't see in real life. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. It brings about empathy and compassion. But then the externalization part is sometimes we really don't know how to verbalize what we're going through until we see it on camera. And we're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that was what I was feeling. And that's, I see those aha moments a lot too. So it's a, again, it's a tool, not always going to work. I won't always bring into a session if it doesn't matter, but when there is a cage on the lover, there's ways of me getting them a little bit more like, the whole the whole point is I need them to change, right? Meaning change their behavior or change something they're doing, the mm. individual. So I'm saying, hey, you, you know, this is not working. You're too stressed out. Your anxiety level is too high. It can't be good for you. Let's change that. Here's an example where you see somebody really stressed out. And, you know, that's how I'll use it. And so it's really not just about having it easier to talk about. It does help help being easier to talk about. But generally speaking, Sometimes people get can't get past themselves. You know how you can't get past yourself? You're just mm. like, I'm in my own head. I'm like, yeah, let's get you out of your own head. Let's look at this character. That's you. You know what I mean? And sometimes I did that. They're like, that's not me. And I'm like, no, I'm not trying to insult you. That is you. That I'm talking about what this person did just here. And they're like, oh, yes. And so it's, I'm finding it to be fun. And all all ages enjoy K-dramas. Mm. From the teens to the 70-plus-year-olds. They may be watching something different, but it doesn't matter. So it's another reason why I like it is it brings together a family. You mentioned earlier where a family member could watch it and they're like, hey, what's this? Because it's pretty innocent. Well, I will say you could watch it with a the family. There's a lot of family connections. You know, this is Korean culture. so all about the family. So there's a lot to learn from that. And that helps my family because I'm a family therapist by trade. Mm -hmm. So that helps my work as well. 
it's really interesting when you say like getting out of ourselves and realizing perhaps i don't know that there's a little bit of young or junho in all, all of us and the father and, and and reflecting on who we are through those people it, it's really interesting this combination of mental health and k-dramas genie because i guess from a cultural perspective or in, in its own social context mental health in korea is incredibly taboo um it's it, it's getting better over the time so whenever we think about sort of cult culture is always changing it's dynamic and korean culture today is not the same as korean culture 10 years ago right it's really absolutely different but for the most part like speaking about mental health in south korean cultural context for the longest time has been very taboo it's not something you would put in your twitter bio it's not something you would speak out loud there's worries that it would affect your insurance or job prospects even if you go to counseling or things like this and so isn't that quite i i don't know if it's an irony or not that a country with such previously held and still to a certain extent um standing taboos on mental health is being used its dramas are being used to help mental health elsewhere yes it's ironic yeah. and i've said it in my my reels too that i go i think it's ironic that as a korean american so born in seoul but obviously raised in the u.s i i was still exposed to korean parents who all they knew was korean culture so it was like i said to my parents growing up um, why are you acting all Korean? We're in the U.S., right? So I had a cultural struggle, and a lot of yeah. Korean Americans do, or hyphenated Americans have that struggle with their culture, their culture of origin. But why am I saying this? Is because, ironically speaking, I get that it's so the irony of like how I'm bringing in a K drama to help someone's mental health when the actual culture itself, yes, really struggles to navigate it right now. The stigma, I would say, is a little less than it was. You're, yeah. Even every year, it's getting better, you know, because they're understanding it better. The lack of education in Korea was was very, it's basically lack of education. So I call it psychoeducation. They they don't have that psychology. Where in the U.S., we're much more advanced, right? Western culture, much more advanced. Um, it's just slowly getting there. So I think as more people are getting educated on symptoms and illnesses and mental health, knowing, oh, it's okay. It, it, it is normal as in it can be part of life as in it's stressful and that stress is normal. So anyway, long story short, I point that irony out all the time going, yeah, I know it's ironic, but you know what? I still think that's why I told you early on in this interview, there is a disconnect that I'm still trying to figure out when you see these beautiful storylines written out that I bring into a mental health practice and I talk about it. And then yet the story in Korea is very different, but these are written by Korean screenwriters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting there going, I just know that they're knowing they're actually getting it. The the Tomorrow K-drama on suicide, the reason why I was skeptical is I was like, oh my gosh, it's on suicide, so they're going to be dramatizing it. You know what I mean? I thought it was yeah. going to be like almost over overdone. Like I thought it's going to be so, but I was actually very impressed that they actually got the the, or the screenwriter actually understood or, or showed that suicide is can be multiple causes and it's not just one thing or it's not because you're mentally ill. That mm. drama showed very different cases that I thought were brilliant. In fact, I was watching it going, oh my gosh, what? Why am I saying that? I'm just saying, oh my gosh, but in Korea, they have the highest suicide rate, just pointing that out in the OECD. Mm. I'm bringing that out because I'm like, that's a huge, that's a big piece of data 
that I look at going, okay, but you have the highest suicide rate, but then you bring in a Tamara K drama that's beautifully done and shows that you do get it. Where is that disconnect? So I'm mm -hmm. kind of going off on here, but I'm trying to say, I'm trying to figure that out going, if we can translate what they're writing in these Korean dramas into Korean society, it would also help. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you're talking about someone on 2521 says, go get therapy. That was literally in a scene. I just went, I pause it with, did, did she just did she just say that? I'm sorry, I'm pointing that out and going, well, then clearly someone in Korea is also saying that. So what mm. I'm trying to get at is it just, if they see what they see on TV or on their Korean dramas on their local channels, wow, just translate it, that into society. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, you know? Mm. And so I think we can all learn from anything we watch, just like the US learning from the K-dramas and vice versa. But yes, you know, I'm gonna be partial to K-dramas. But yeah, I, I say it's ironic. In fact, I'm very public about it. And I'll hmm. say it's ironic that also um, that I'm trying to think. I do have a decent follow. They're global, but I think out of the out of the, all the Asian countries, Korea is probably the smallest following. But that's okay because I get that, you know. But I look yeah. at my numbers of who's following me, and I'll hmm. go, interesting. I'm only boosting K dramas, but no, that's not obviously my goal. But yeah, I am. I'm very pleased that I can use these beautiful storylines and talk about mental health through these K dramas. You know. Hmm. My cult, my literally my culture of origin. It's, it's you mentioned a couple of really important things, Dean. Like the incredibly high suicide rate in South Korea, and um, also I think uh, suicide is the number one leading cause of death for young people, which is just tragic to think about. You know, it's not drugs, it's not misadventure, it's it's not, but it, it's people taking their own lives, which then strikes a great disconnect or cognitive dissonance when you watch these beautifully acted stories coming out. Um, on the screen, I think what one of the things that's definitely helping is that a lot of the, not all of it, but a lot of the writing coming out now is being done by uh, women screenwriters, particularly of your generation, rather than the parents' generation. And, and for the elder generation, the answer was always nolyok, just effort, right? Just just grin and bear it and you'll get through it. And also with things like Tomorrow, Nail, um, a lot of them are also starting from webtoons. And these are kind of like, I don't want to use the term like disaffected youth, but if you're a webtoon writer, not always, but you're just doing it by yourself and you're, and you're getting out these things. Is it possible, Jeannie? Like, I mean, you're licensed, you're professional and not everybody has access, I think, to counseling, maybe financial, maybe geographic. And, and there's a lot of barriers, I think, also psychological, you know, to actually go and say, I, I want to see a counselor. Is there ways in which people that watch K-dramas can use them for their mental health by themselves rather than being guided through it? Um, do you understand my question? So yeah. you help people and you yeah. use them, but there might be some people that don't have access to, to you or to counsellors for various reasons. Are they able to watch um, K-dramas and get something from it? Is there something that they should be doing more or less or? Yeah, good, great question. So without downplaying therapy, yes, if you feel like you need counseling therapy, you seek a professional that's licensed that can do that, right? And that's up to, that's your prerogative, but you're right. It's not always accessible. Um, I know for a fact, many followers have sent me stories that they watched a K-drama. They um, literally, it helped them through something like a divorce or grieving a loved one that they lost and they would watch something went, oh my gosh, this has helped me tremendously. And it, the joke is it was their therapy, you know? And I say to you, I go, oh, okay, I need to watch something therapeutic, you know? And so 
Yeah, I really believe yes. And, and not just K-dramas. I'll be very fair. It can be anything you watch, right? Any film that you connect to that you're like, oh my gosh, this this helped me tremendously. I just cried my eyes out. I feel so much better. You know how sometimes you need a good cry? Some of the K-dramas give you a good cry and you just mm, got that all out and you feel good <laughs> because going through the day of life, sometimes you're holding an emotion that you don't know you're holding in. Like someone hurt you and you hold that hurt in and, and then you realize you let it out on a scene on a K-drama or whatever you're watching and it's just therapeutic. So to answer your question very simply, yes, I do believe it can provide that. I will say, you know, disclaimer, obviously if you really feel like you need something, you're, you're on a point of super depressed or thinking about, you know, harmful things or hurting yourself, yes, then you need a professional and don't just watch. And I'll, oh, and I'll say this, oh, people said, but Jeannie, tomorrow is really triggering. I'll go and I'll say this all the time. I go, just like me, I don't watch things that trigger me or bother me or I think are too graphic. So if you think tomorrow, just because you like Rowan, you know, just because you like watching that handsome guy play on screen or forget the other one, you see how you do not need to watch it if it's triggering that you follow your gut. The minute it triggers you, it's telling you something. It's too much or brought up some memories that are you're not ready for, I need you not to watch it. And I'll say that. So again, they may not listen to me, but I'll say, that's my advice. You can turn off tomorrow and watch something else. So yeah, and sometimes these K-dramas can trigger you, right? You're watch something and then when I say trigger, it's like, oh, this like really strong emotion, usually not good, like something mm. that kind of hinders you in a way that's like, ooh, that bothered me, ooh, seeing that, you know, seeing that woman have an affair with her husband, that bothers me, right? Because maybe it was triggering based on real life or something you're exposed to. Yeah, and there are times I say that, but people may continue watching and then they may find them reconciling those feelings because K-dramas are very good about reconciliation of something. Like there goes that mean character that gets what they deserved or you know what I mean? Or like the mean character turns good. That's usually what happens, mm. right? The mean character, you mm. find out their real story and you're like, oh, that helped me overcome this. So there's that story arc, like you said, but yeah, I mean, I hope that answers your question, but mm. yes, I will say don't, not as a replacement. I'll say that it's not a replacement, but yes, it can be quite therapeutic and can teach you something and provide that mental health support you may need that works for you at the time. This might not be about K-dramas as much, but just hearing you talk about trigger warnings more broadly. Now, when I was growing up, tr there was no such thing as trigger warnings in the UK. We did, you know, the, 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 the movies and dramas that I watched while I was being babies at the age of five and things, they traumatized. Somebody made me watch Gremlins, Gremlins, like when I was four. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, four. Yeah, yeah, I was young. I, oh. um, but in South Korea, in, in the education system and things here, trigger warnings aren't a thing right? It, it, it's just different cultures. Now, yeah. I guess my question here for you is that, and it might be a very sensitive question, but do trigger warnings, do they make us weaker psychologically because we're never becoming exposed to things? We're meant to feel that discomfort. We're meant to deal with it. We're meant to get past it. And I know there might be some very serious situations where that doesn't apply, but I'm, I'm just speaking more broadly across the population not for the extreme situations, but do trigger warnings and this, and this talk of things and we avoid these things, does that make us weaker psychologically? Is it having actually, although it comes from a positive place, it actually has a detrimental effect? Or is it, on the other hand, no, the literature says this and they're very helpful? Okay, so I think I'll, it's like a two-part answer. Um, I would say trigger warning can sometimes be used 
to literally uh, make sure there's no unethical things that happen. <laughs> because mm. if you're going to talk about something seriously about suicide, where you're a li licensed professional, uh, people put that at the get-go. So they make sure they're kind of, kind of covering their butt, if that makes sense. So that sometimes is there, FYI. Mm. Uh, because it can be very triggering. Yeah, if you're going to be talking about someone killed themselves this way, jumping off the building, that's triggering. Now, I will say there are times that when we're talking about coping skills where I want to talk about mental health and I normalize what I'm saying, when I say normalize, meaning anxiety is normal, stress is normal, it's a part of life. You'll see me use those words and I'll say I'll use strong words like stress depression it sounds like you're depressed they're like no i'm not depressed i'll be like okay well it seems like it you know i go it doesn't say you have depression it just seems like you're depressed which is a state of mind so that is not to trigger but use those words that are appropriately usable that makes sense meaning i'm not gonna sugarcoat it when I, you're coming to see me and i need to be realistic about what it is so you know the more you know knowledge is powerful so the more you know the more you're like oh that okay that's what it is it's not not what I assumed. It really is this. So in all in all honesty, trigger warning should be used for protection of the professional because you don't know the, the, the viewership and you don't know the reaction. You can't. And that's very important for licensed professionals because that's kind of in our code of ethics. Mm. So that's why it's used. Um, but I don't believe it'll make you psychologically weaker. There are some things I do believe, well, like there, if you're avoiding anxiety and people are like oh i'm never anxious guess what i'll say that there's there's no such thing as never being anxious that then you're like a robot i go there are times you're going to be anxious whether it's like taking a test or trying to speak in front of people mm -hmm. or you know what i mean or, or like your daughter is doing something for the first time you're like oh i'm anxious i hope she does well that's what anxiousness means so they're like oh so in that sense i will make sure people don't avoid some uh i would say normalcy of life that's your mental health that can make you, I would say, not weaker, but just more like avoidant. Now, Korean culture, pause on that, Korean culture mm. is pretty avoidant. So that is why in some sense, I feel like there's a high amount of stress I sense in society. Even when I was there, I had a beautiful time, vacation. But in, in the, when I was around people at times, I was like, oh my gosh, the Korean word was kupe. Why are they so impatient? I was impatiently like anxious. I was like, mm. you could feel that energy rating. I was like, oh my gosh, calm down. In fact, I said to myself, if I lived here maybe more than like six, seven months or eight months, I would probably conform to that because I am very driven that way as well. It might be innately me being Korean, but that's not good for my mental health. So I was thinking, wow, I felt the innate anxiety, but I remember saying to somebody, a friend of mine that I felt going, okay, like what's making you so stressed out? They're like, I'm not stressed. I was like, oh, okay, um, okay, I calm down. I mean, it was a joke, and I was like, okay, I, so maybe you're not stressed. And I was like, gonna avoid it because I was yeah. like, let's just dinner. I wasn't there to be her therapist, but I just went, okay. But clearly, I felt that. You know how you feel when someone's around you're like, oh my goodness. Mm. So what I'm trying to get at is, uh, in that sense, I won't, I won't avoid what I think you shouldn't avoid things that actually makes the anxiety higher, an anxiety key thing to fighting through stress and anxiety is actually navigating through it and not avoiding it. Mm. Our Korean culture can sometimes avoid talking about things. Mm. Then it gets worse. So I see that in society. So what I'm trying to say is trigger warning is used literally as like a, you know, as what sh it should be used, but not to, it doesn't make you psychologically weaker. If anything, I, it gives people that option to opt out if they need to, mm. Because in real life, those trigger ones usually have to do with something very graphic 
And I do believe sometimes they're not beneficial to see. For instance, I don't always watch the news videos. News is pretty graphic these days yep. around the world. Yeah. And so I will choose not to do that and go, oh, I'm not going to see that video, but I will read the headlines. Okay, that happened. Or even the rains in Korea recently. They can be graphic if you know someone's missing and you're seeing basement homes, you know? Hmm. And you feel a little, it's like parasite all over again. You feel a little something. Those can be graphic, believe it or not. And those can actually cause some trauma. So it is very wise to put in trigger warning at times hmm. when needed. As long no, as disclaimers, and I think news is purposefully getting more graphic these days. It's more about that shock factor of Twitter videos and to make people watch. I guess in terms of cultural context, there is this weird, Korea is a lovely country of contradictions where it's conservative and progressive at the same time. And But Koreans will have no trigger warnings or no problems about talking about people's weight, oh, like yeah. mental health. But people will come up to you all the time and go, David, you got fat. Like, oh, yeah. they're, they're just straight on that. We were just talking about the beauty things. And it, it, it's so interesting, the differences where mental health discussions or, or stress discussions are kind of under the cover, but weight discussions and appearances, they're all out in the open. They and are. they're just like, and, Whoo. Yeah, and it's, and it's offensive. You know, I mean, you, I mean, I get, I was like, oh, dreading seeing my um, relatives I had to see in like many years, because I know they'd see something, like they'll look at the face. <laughs> Go, oh, you know, you're sitting there going, huh? But again, cultural context, I'm much older now where I'll be like, well, that is the culture. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying can't change the culture. Right. But yes, I think it's, uh, let's go back to the irony talking about mental health and things. And then yet they, they will flat out talk about, you know, very things that you'd be like, oh my gosh, we don't do that in the U S mm. very, oh, how much money do you make? That's another thing. They're point blank. Okay, how much money is this? How much did you spend on this? Wow, where'd you graduate from? I mean, just very, very pointed questions that you're like, whoa, where the U.S. gives you that space. So it's very, again, cultural context, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's understanding all those nuances and seeing all the differences. Which how do you is... handle that, by the way? I'll ask you. <laughs> what do you say this month? I, I, I just smile and laugh. laugh and then, yeah, I'm all right with it. I, I'm it. it in South Korea, I feel very overweight. In the United Kingdom, I feel very thin. So it's good. I just go back to the United Kingdom once in a while and I feel better about myself. Um, uh, in, in terms, Jeannie, of mental health and K-dramas, have you faced any pushback to this idea? Because we did talk about the irony and it's kind of a unique combination. And you've said that you've used it in keynote speeches, just taking global, you've received a lot of positive reactions from the young Chinese American girl as well. Has there been somebody that's looked at you and gone, excuse me, you're a professional. Why are you telling me to watch a K-drama for homework? Or has there been any resistance to it or? Not in person. Or, you know, like people I work with directly, some people on social media, because, you know, you can have some stuff on social media will go, you are you telling people to binge watch? And I go, huh, did I say binge watch? I mean, I'll be very clear going, I think yeah. I said a dose of a K-drama day. So that's like half an episode, maybe. So I'm very clear with my words, but and that's mm. me being sarcastic. That might be the only pushback. There's probably pushback up there, but I've never gotten it in person. I've gotten some skepticism, mm. even from friends that are like, I don't watch K-dramas, you know? And I'm talking Asian friends or Korean friends. I'm like, you don't watch Korean dramas? I mean, I'll just make fun of them going, what? And it's a joke. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's fine. They're like, why? I go, oh, nothing, because I think you'd benefit from watching, you know, my mister, just saying, you know? It's so all just bring up a K-drama. But 
Um, but they're more open to it and they're just, they just know what I do, but that the skepticism is just more like, that's interesting, Jeannie. Oh, tell me more. So I haven't gotten pushback, but what I tend to get a little bit is just not, let's not talk about it. And those are from the Koreans. Mm. Okay. Meaning, yeah, we expect, like, we respect your work. We see it on, interesting. Okay. Anyways, let's just, you know, move on. I was like, okay. But again, that is what I expected. And I'm not trying to break through that with Korean culture, but I want I do want to be appreciated that, hey, hey, let I don't. In fact, I'll get I'll be real on this. One person actually said something like, um, like, what do you know about Korean culture? And I went, huh. Hmm. OK, so I'm not living in Korea, but that doesn't mean I don't know anything about Korean culture. I am Korean. And I remember had, this is where we go to identity. I was very firm. I go, I am 100 percent Korean. I'm 100 percent American. I have both cultures, but you're right. I do not. But I don't. I, I told them this. I go, clearly, I don't say anything about Korean society like mm. i don't talk about the day-to-day -day. i talked about the culture and what i see in k-dramas and my own experience and i remember i had to be a little defensive because for the first time i was like did someone just say that i'm not korean and by the way the person that pointed this out is not necessarily living in korea either just saying but that's when i solidified and this is why i'm passionate about talking about identity particularly cultural identity because it really does directly tie to someone actually challenging you going, you don't know who you are kind of thing. You're like, yes, I do. That's who I am. So yeah, I, uh, for me to say that, which was pretty recent, uh, I was very firm. I, I went, I, gee, and I'll tell you my age. I'm almost, I'm 48. So I came a long way to go, hmm, if you had told me this 20 years ago that I would be like this firm that I am 100% Korean, I'd be like, oh, not really. I'm more American. But no, I have come to grasp that part of my identity that's very important. And that's probably why my mental health has boosted in recent years, because I, I embrace that the good and the bad. There's always, mm. you know, every part of culture, not not a rosy, you know, tint, tinted rose glasses or whatever. No, there's, um, there's things that we see imperfections, I say, right. Um, but yeah, I that that so no, Donna, answer your question, no real pushback, which is a blessing, I want to mm. say, you know, Mm -hmm. that's great you look you look fantastic for 48 by the way wow like what's what's the secret like I, i'm gonna write down some notes out of hey beauty no i do i do use all <laughs> no it's i don't know i mean you saw me in real life you didn't see the wrinkle <laughs> wrinkles there we, we always see the worst in ourselves sometimes and, and the okay. best in other people which is not not too much of a bad thing um it, it, it's good that you haven't got too much negative feedback and i do agree that identity is is really a big thing these days you know as a as a white dude in korea teaching korean studies it, it comes up a lot despite the phds the qualifications and what have you and I, i'm sure my two young children will go through uh, their own experiences with that and identity um can i ask you about social media genie or rather sure. can i ask you about social media please nuna's nunchi because <laughs> <laughs> um nunim perhaps if we're going to speak oh, Korean, uh, i guess so i guess i'm older oh, okay. yeah. yes yes uh 40 i am um 41 soon your your social media presence is pretty huge particularly on instagram uh, i think yeah. that's how i first came across you and what i've noticed is that um I've spit, I, I know other people now who also know you. And it's like, wow, do, do you know Jeannie? And it, it has come across like that. I believe Haley is one of them. I've got yeah, messages yeah. from- I love Haley. I've got messages from other, Haley Yang, by the way, I've got messages from other people that say, oh, you're talking to Nunes Nunchi, please do this. And- What? Could, That's cool. It, it's true though, it's true. I, I mean, I showed you a, a one, at least one of the messages. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you have a pretty big online presence. So can you tell us about this social media life? What's going on there? How you interact with it? Your goals or just sure. uh, open that door yeah. for us a bit. Um, again, ironic because you don't think, okay, when I started Nunez Nunchi in January of 2021, gosh, it seems so long ago. I, um, yeah, I like I was uh, 47 maybe 46, I forget, I'm trying to do the math. Um, no, you have a middle age, right? And I'm on Instagram where my kids are, you know? And so it's a little awkward. And actually, because it's blown up a little bit, they're like, I saw you on Instagram. That's so weird, mommy. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, sorry. Sorry, it's cringy to see your own mom. Do your kids I, follow you? They do. Oh, they, they do. do follow okay. me. And some of them, and sometimes I'll check my story and I'll see that they, they've they watch me. I'm like, interesting. One of my sons consistently watches me. And that's nice. They, they support. But then sometimes they'll be like, yeah, that's cringy. But yeah. they just said you they'll hear me talk about our family and they'll be like, that's so cringy that we're in your reel. But anyways, no, it, I just didn't. I just knew that I had to have an Instagram presence based on what I was doing. Right. So I was doing YouTube. So it's kind of like making sure you have that presence of being up to date on social media. And I kind of knew how to navigate it because kids and just being on Instagram myself. So when I started it, it was more intended to have a presence of Nunez Nucci on all the, the socials. Mm. TikTok came later, which I still am trying to figure out. I'm like, I'm a little uncomfortable on TikTok. It's not fully there for me, but I, at least I have a presence there. But Instagram really blew up, I think. Um, and sometimes it's slow growth, but I knew that I blew up one day when I actually talked about, and this is very interesting to bring up, Korea's cancel culture. So I did an Instagram live because I had heard about Kim Sono getting mm. canceled. Mm. You remember that? Mm. And it had just came off of hometown cha-cha-cha. We, we had all finished the finale globally. Then the story broke. I think 12 hours later or within the morning, I woke up to a flurry of texts and emails. And I was like, what is going on? And then I read up what happened. And it's very interesting. But I, and it's one of those things you don't plan, but you decide to go on live and give your two cents. And I gave my two cents as a Korean American um that and that's what went viral in the beginning where i was like very upset about what happened to him and i go i don't even know him right so i say that i don't even know what this is but yeah. what i know is an actor and, and i did my research and i go and i really said this and i said this live i go my belief is some of these assumptions or what's being said are untrue and i actually said that i go and maybe i'm saying that as a fangirl but i was i don't know what i said because i was so like i wanted to be clear about how i felt about the cancel culture at the end of the day and that's where I got some criticism. They're like, well, you don't live in Korean society. I go, but I didn't say because of Korean society. I said, cancel culture in general. I go, this this guy who you adored yesterday is literally, literally kicked off like Korea, you know, in some sense within 12 hours. Mm. And I just think you don't, you can't write off a human being like that, you know? And so, and I, and I said, and you heard one-sided story. So that's even worse. It'd be different if we had everything confirmed, but it turned out to be, you know, so everything, you know, know, know that whole story, but that's what went viral. And then I guess through that time, it kind of blew up from there. And then I just started doing more reels and getting more comfortable um, with my work. So it's just getting more comfortable on social media. And it's funny, but I also, I'm very, so people will not like hearing this, but I don't go on Instagram and look at everybody's posts. I don't have time for that. So when I'm on Instagram, I'm posting my stuff, mm. putting stories, seeing, you know, some of the, I do read all my DMs. But that's it. Sometimes I miss posts when people go, oh, did you see this in person's post that they saw BTS? I'm like, oh, my God, no, because I'm actually not on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm kind of like a fake Instagram. But no, I do try to um, support some people, but I'm not on it for like scrolling. 
that makes sense. Mm. And that is mainly because of time management. I don't have that time. And also two, it's also managing. And I tell folks this, I tell clients this from all ages, watch what you see on social media too. You got to limit balance what you read, what those Twitter feeds or Instagram feeds. Some of them aren't, they can be triggering or they are hurtful or something you see. You got to watch that. So it's all about balance. And so I, I make sure I do that as well. Yeah. Particularly with Instagram, I've noticed that if I if I scroll down it, um, and I try not to use social media too much, but I'll see one post from someone I know, two adverts, one post from someone. The amount of adverts on Instagram these oh, days is yeah. naughty. I'm not yeah. sure what's going on there, but I think that's they, why they I... know what you're watching or something, and they'll show you like a clothes. Like I was scrolling on some clothes, and then boom, the store came up. I'm like, interesting. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's why more and more people go to stories and things like that, because it's, yeah. you get less ad free. Yes. Yeah, and and yeah. then some of your friends and followers you won't see because Instagram buries it. So there were some people that I'd never seen. I'm like, yeah. I know I'm following them. So that's what's annoying. Yeah. Sort it out, please. Social media platforms and then more people can engage with you. Um, it, it, it's been real. Like, it, it's amazing that you only started in January 2021 and, and, and you've achieved all that. Um, I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, but you've spoken to me before about goals of turning this into a research project or what does Nunes Nunchi do going forward? How does this go into the next stages? I am still a licensed professional, right? So it's kind of like as a, you know, as a doctor and a professional a professor, there's research is kind of like the core of my work, not just um, building research or writing it, but researching, you know, I'm constantly doing that. I got to know the latest mental health trends, latest coping mechanisms. So I'm constantly researching. Plus as a licensed professional, I got to keep my license up to date. So I have to take these courses, right? So with the, with Nunas Nunchi, I would like to build on the, yeah, the, the research and data I'm collecting in my head, put it somehow into paper. I'm constantly, I'm working on that, whether it's a white paper, I haven't decided how, but I will tell you because of my limited time, because I have real life work and, you know, corporate speaking engagements. I'm about to enter a busy season now because I was on vacation. Um, it'll be hard, but I'm making it a priority, meaning even if I'm a little more sleep deprived, I believe in this. Why? Because I hear almost, I want to say, K-drama-like beautiful stories of how K-dramas have helped them through, I would say, tragic or difficult times mm. without revealing too much, if I can get waivers of people, these are beautiful stories that I believe can inspire the world. And again, it's like a K-drama playing out. And I want that to be shared when people, if people are willing to share that, if that makes sense. So yeah, re- so kind of trying to put some of this on a data sheet or something, and also to prove what I'm doing, you know, because at the very end of the day, you know, as a professor, you want to back up your work. Mm. I want to prove that what I'm doing is working or helps, right? And has been beneficial for the one's mental health. So that's kind of like the next step. And I'm trying to figure all that out. I wish you all the best with it. And, you know, if the world was a K-drama, that would be a much better world than the one we're currently living in, I think, wouldn't it? You know, it it doesn't feel... Or we might be living in a Squid Game type thing more than anything. But, yeah. That's why Squid Game was so relatable. Because it's kind of like where we're living yeah perhaps and we need that we need that release now i wish you all the best with that um do you have any observation on this hallyu phenomenon so you've mentioned a couple of times just briefly in passing here that perhaps some of your when you look at the numbers of the social media engagement it's not always from career or 
um it's from other parts of the world now what you're doing i mean if you were doing this let's say 15 years ago there wouldn't be instagram i don't think but do you know if you were yeah. doing it 15 years ago there might not have been nothing to do with the quality of your work or but it wouldn't have had that appeal so what have you observed right. genie about the appeal of you know k content very broadly and who's digging into it who's vibing on this thing from certain parts of the world what's 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 going on with Hallyu, genie well Hallyu, the Hallyu way which they kind of talked about even five six years ago we're like riding it's like a typhoon or something you know it's like huge mm. it has quadrupled in interest from the pandemic i believe just it came out of that squid game even more we are literally riding on a high. So I will say, yes, how you, the how you wave and interest has peaked what I'm doing in my work. In fact, any kind of Korean content these days goes really wide. If you see that people talking about Korea or visiting Korea, you're all of a sudden seeing these reels all about Korea. Mm. To me, um, I think that's great. So you're right, maybe 10 years ago, even though I was loving K-dramas and there are a lot of K-drama fans, um, it wouldn't have been as taken, if that makes sense. They'd be like, that's weird. Okay, I don't watch K-dramas. But now you're seeing a lot more people open to even the idea of a K-drama because they've heard of it. They're like, yeah. I've heard of K-dramas. It's on Netflix. You know how many are on Netflix? Amazing. I mean, I'm like sitting there going, it's all over. And so people are kind of blasted with it, with the algorithm. So they actually have no choice, but they know that that's a K-drama, even if they don't watch it. The, the I would say globally speaking, it's still the US is big because I'm US based. But I mean, you know, close up India. Close up India. India is pretty much very close behind and a huge following in India to the point that some of them speak Korean better than me. I mean, you, you know what I mean? I'm talking to I'm talking mm. to some people going, this is humiliating. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm like amazed because they are fascinated and adore, almost adore Korean culture. So they will learn the language. They will make the food. And, you know, and I I'm amazed by that. And they and again, they relate to it. Also, obviously, being South Asian or fellow Asian, they relate to it. But it doesn't matter. They still go Korean culture. We love all things Korea. So I, I would say Korea should also appreciate the amount of tourism that they're getting. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, from Korean dramas and K-pop. They want to see the sites. They want to be part of the culture. I know so many of my Caucasian friends learning Korean. Again, when I one time I said, if you guys speak Korean better than me, I will be, I will be mad. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I'm not practicing like they are. They're taking classes, so they're practicing. So. That's why I'm like, I better start practicing. But that's amazing to me. I would never have seen that 10 years ago. So going back to the way I grew up, that is why some Korean Americans like me were like, what, what's going on? It's like, we're in the twilight zone. Like all of a sudden we're cool. I keep saying that. Uh, not like we as in they're looking at us, but our culture is put on the map. And it was not like that even as recently as yeah, maybe 10 years ago, you know? Um, I, so I just think that's, it's still marveling. But I, I appreciate it. Now, sometimes it gets to the point where they're like, when I'm like, you know, you guys, you know, there's more food than just barbecue or kalbi and bulgogi. You know, you know what I mean? I'm mm -hmm. like, there's other Korean food. So a couple times as a Korean American, I'll get a little like, you know, you're just seeing this on a K drama. So I'll remind them, you're just seeing a K drama. Uh, life's very different, you know, as a little reminder. And they're like, oh yeah, you're right, you're right. But then, you know, sometimes you get that pushback going, why you got to be so hard on Korean culture. And I'm like, was I hard on Korean culture? I was like, I'm, I don't think I am because I'm Korean, but I'm just giving the reality of what it looks like. It doesn't always look like this. So there are a couple of times I do say that to friends or even clients going, hey, you're watching a drama. 
Mm. And so, and Korean, Korean dramas show the best of Korea. When you look at the location, I mean, sometimes I'm like, and I did actually go visit most of them and, and that, and they are true to what you see, but they look even more glamorous, yeah. right? On screen. So yeah, I'm riding that Hallyu popularity. And, um, and I think it's, and I think it's great. So I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, but again, uh, with that comes a little disclaimer of like people also telling me that are non-Korean, like they're Korean experts. Have you ever gotten that? I'm like, um, so you saw this K-drama and I'll, they'll talk to me like they're an expert. They're like, no, that's not how it is in Korea. I'm like, okay, maybe not. Cause I don't live there too, but I'm Korean. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're talking to a non-Korean and you're like, yeah, you doesn't necessarily make you an expert either. And you see that they're like, I'm a BTS fan. I know them all. And that's true. They probably know them way more than me, but it's just interesting how they think that you'll sometimes get folks going that they think they know all about the culture based on what they see. Right. And it's not necessarily real life or society. I have a PhD in Korean studies and I teach Korean studies at two universities and I don't consider myself a Korean expert. You know what I mean? But I, I love that you have a PhD. So I will point you out. I think that I think that's what drew me to you after just reading some of your articles, but also going, yeah, he has a PhD in Korean studies. That's cool. A British man. I'm saying it's neat to see that because I don't know if I growing up, like I said, I just wanted to be seen and heard and validated. But again, it was very foreign to some folks. It was very, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it's mm. like, what? And then even I was ashamed every time I heard my mom speak Korean. I'd be like, don't speak Korean. Isn't that sad? But that's kind of the reality of growing up. And um, and so seeing it now when people are actually trying to learn the language, it's just mm. like surreal. Yeah. The, the, the generation below me, uh, in terms of their Korean language skills, I mean, I, I study twice a week still, but it's phenomenal. And I think there are some people that, that come to this with an amount of cynicism or skepticism about the reality of the popularity of Hallyu at the moment. But I, I go into to lecture halls and there are people from all over the world and they've seen all the K-dramas we're talking. They've seen even more than I've seen and the passion and the love is real at the moment. It's not government propaganda, which some people like to suggest. I guess the only thing that I wish there was more attention paid to the love and interest that comes to Hallyu from Southeast Asia, from India, from these parts of the world, because there does seem to be a focus on success in the West uh, or success in America, I guess, primarily as the uh, as the watermark for success. I mean, if you get it in America, yeah. then it means more. But the amount of, I you know, I, I check my numbers sometimes on who's watching on YouTube and, you know, it, it, it's a small amount. But using that and the, the Korean lecture classes, there's so much love coming from Southeast Asia and from this part oh, of yeah. the world. Southeast Asia, South Asia. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, India is right up there. Like, yeah. I love my Indian fans. I'll talk to them all day, you know, going, I'm like talking to a Korean. You, you know what I mean? And then, yes, Malaysia is another country that's high up there, Indonesia. I am talking, you just get the, like, yeah, I, I would go there in a heartbeat. Hey, you guys wanna fly me out to Bali to do a workshop? I'll come, <laughs> you know, I've said that to some. And yeah, and then Europeans, oh, I'll get DMs now from more Europeans. Finland, Belgium, they'll literally say, hi from Belgium, hi from Finland. I'm like floored. And that's the benefit of social media sometimes when you get these DMs that they're like, I just wanted to let you know that I'm here in Europe. And I'm like, that is so cool. So. Yo, no, it's not just the West, but always America has always been that, I guess, that, you know, navigator. But no, I look at, oh my gosh, it's Asia, first of all, 
it's huge all over Asia. Yeah. That's yeah. the Hollywood wave. That's how it started, right? I think China was the one that got all into that going, hey, this is pretty good. And then it boomed from there. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and it's real. Um, I, I think it's time maybe for South Korea sometimes to recognize where a lot of that support comes from uh, and that love more domestically. Um, you've mentioned a few times about identity. Um, so I just want to uh, touch on this briefly, because when I was growing up, obviously, I was told by everybody identity doesn't matter. You know, all my, my masters and my professors told me you treat everybody the same, doesn't matter the color of the skin. And I think that was the that was genuinely the narrative of the 80s and 90s in the environments where I was growing up. But we've seen identity become more and more of an issue or how we define ourselves or how young people define themselves. And I, I've spoken to many people who grew up feeling ashamed of a Korean identity or embarrassed various degrees, but you know, sort of made in Korea used to mean like not cool or cheap. It, it used to be a label that was associated with low quality. Now made in Korea, if you put a K in front of something, people like lose their minds. They're like, this is oh, great. Yeah. They're attracted to the K now. So uh, from, a, I guess, from an identity perspective, you know, how has this affected you in terms of your own understanding of Korean-ness, Korean-American-ness, or how does that play out, Jeannie? Yeah, I love this question because um, I was, Yes, for many years, I mean, from literally growing up, I, I came when I was a baby, basically. That's why pretty much Korean-American uh, and being up, up to teenage years to college, really, I would say, mm, thought of Korean culture going, eh, I like had an arm's length mm. until I got to college and saw more Korean-Americans like me, basically. And actually, it's that summer I talked about in the onset in 1992 when I graduated from high school. That was a critical summer where I went, Oh my goodness, I'm actually able to relate. It's it's about being relatable. That's why you want to hide your identity because when people actually go, oh, you stand out because you look different. And then, oh, uh, oh, your mom speaks a different language. You eat different food, you know, because they were exposed to that friends and they're my friends. But then you, as a teenager, especially children and teenagers, you just want to fit in. You just want to be like everybody else. When you're older, it's a little different, you know, where you're like, hey, I like being the different person on the block, but it's not like that growing up. So it was very difficult to accept that part of my culture. And plus my parents, you know, Korean culture, and you know this, they did the, the things the Korean way. It was very strict. Like I had to study all the time. I mean, the typical, I was raised like a Korean. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is no fun. I want to go to sleepovers and birthday parties. I didn't get to do a lot. Mm. You know, I didn't get to enjoy childhood as much as I would say I would want to. Now, what shifted for me was actually way, okay, no, maybe it was when I was watching the K-dramas too, but really early on in my life, um, I became a mother, not early on. I was like, I had three kids by the time I was 30. So I'm a younger mom. I would say I had younger. Mm. And I, that's what changed me. I think having, now I have four kids, having kids, you, you got to kind of grapple with who you are. And you're like, wait a second. And I happen to be married to a fellow Korean American. So full Korean American kids that I was like, I all of a sudden saw in them what I wanted to have growing up, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I re reframed the way my parents raised me. Now I'm obviously very appreciative because I always say that to folks, you might've had a problem growing up because it was so strict and all that, but don't you like who you are? That's important. Well, I appreciate who I am now. And when I was raising my kids young, I grappled with that. All of a sudden I went, wait a second, I just sounded more Korean. You know, when you're disciplining your kids, I'm like, mm. I just sounded like my mom. You know that term? Don't be like your mom. You turn out to be like your mother. What happens? 
all of a sudden you're like, I sound very strict right now. And oh, interesting. So what I learned to do was go, wait a second. I do want to be strict. I do want to give my kids some, you know, discipline and boundaries, but I'm going to do it my way, which is a little more American, which is after I discipline them and say time out or, you know, then I'll be like, but yes, after you've learned your lesson, okay, you can go play and have your party time two days later. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah. So I let them also play. So it was actually through being a mom and raising those four kids. And then I was developing my private practice, put that all together. I was learning about myself. And I do believe it also has to do with age. So even though people don't want to admit it, yes, with age comes a little bit more wisdom of like, hmm, I was a little bratty back then. You know, you just look at yourself going, wow, my kids are bratty now. I'm a mom. I got to mature. So with maturity comes some wisdom. And I do tell young folks that going, honestly, I know you hate hearing this, but yeah, when I was younger, I thought I knew it all. Well, clearly I didn't, <laughs> you know, and then life has happened and now I know a little bit more. And so that with that maturity came also me going, wait a second. Oh my goodness. I just didn't understand my parents. Mm -hmm. Now that I am one, I'm more empathetic because I was just harsher on my parents. They were immigrant parents that were trying to survive in the US and they were doing it the Korean way, but that's what they knew. So now I know that, you know, mm -hmm. and so, and now my struggle is balancing being Korean American um, because sometimes my Koreanness comes out a little too much, believe it or not. As as much as I fought that Korean culture, I'm like, wow, I sound like a very traditional Korean ajumani. <laughs> I sound like an ajuma. Um, and I went, wow, that means that's just ingrained in me, right? Because how I was raised. But I want to reframe that because I feel like one way is too not not good. Not not the way you're raised here. If you're Korean American, I really got to understand my kids and what they're going through and, and kind of mesh to that and go, ah, let me rephrase that in a more way that I think is like more amenable and more emotional than mm. why did you do this? You know? And so uh, that's how my shift in identity has happened. And that's why my passion is, is really talking about it. So what's made me passionate is because I've learned my own lessons. And also I want to really share that and saying, Hey, your racial or cultural identity is a big part of you and actually denying it stresses you out more honestly. And that's what happened to me. And that's what I see in a lot of the youth today when they're like, I don't want any part of this. I'm like, I get it. There's definitely things that, you know, that grapple with, but I'm going to say it's not good for your mental well-being to literally be like, I hate this part of my life, but you are, that is part of your life. So mm -hmm. how do you grapple with it? How do you balance it? How do you reconcile it? That's what I work with. I think it's, it's a fantastic answer, Jeannie. And I think like you, I only came to terms with it when I was when I had children uh, and when I realized that, you know, my son would go to school and where everybody else's name was like Kim Joo-hee, Park Won-sun, uh, oh. yeah, his name on the on the form is There's ten syllables. Everyone else has got three or two and his name just like Oh, that. they write it out phonetically. Oh, yeah. And they write it out phonetically because I, I just wanted them to have one name, not two different names. You know, you just have sure. one one type yeah. of thing. Yeah, but they write it literally. Okay. Yeah. They write it literally and it boom. And then I was like, okay. And it, that made me start thinking about, you know, my own identity and, and what I was passing on to my children and then what they're going to have to go through as they grow up and I will try to help them navigate it. That's why these conversations help me. This might be a, a, a personal question. I'm not sure if it's one you can answer. You said that uh, as a Korean American, you also married a Korean American and then you've got your kids and you know three by the age of 30, one's watching you on Insta stories. <laughs> Are they yeah. also Korean American? 
then how yeah. does for that so uh technically i am a second generation korean american so meaning no okay i'll say this that people would call me first generation because technically i was born in seoul okay. so those born in korea and then came to whatever country like for me it was the u.s we would be called first generation because we're the first generation to come here but i said i i relate to more second generation even though that's more of those born in the u.s that are korean american because i came when i was a baby so I pretty much say, yes, I was born in Seoul, and yes, I had a Korean passport for a while before I became a U.S. citizen, but I identify more second generation. So that's the term. My kids are third generation. And it really is just coincidence that I happen to marry a Korean American. It just happened at the right time, you know? So that was unusual considering I grew up feeling very white, if that makes sense, because that's how I grew up. That's why I stood out. So I was very surprised when, you know, it happened. But yeah, we got married, and um, and that just was more like I didn't set out to marry a Korean American. It's so funny. People go, oh, did did you want that? Or And I go, you know what? Um, I guess internally I thought it would be nice, but it wasn't a priority. Yes, my parents wanted that, you know, and you hear that all the time. Uh, is he Korean? You know, is he Korean? Is he a doctor? Is he a lawyer? You know, that we went through all that too. Um, but no, obviously they've come, they probably love my husband more than they love me. But yes, he, no, it just happened to be that way. But yes, he, and he considers himself, just so you know, a 1.5. So we have these technical terms within immigrant families where he was born in Seoul and lived there until he was 10 and then came to the U.S., immigrated to the U.S. to Los Angeles. And he so I think he started fifth, fifth grade in the U.S. So he had elementary school education in Korea. So he says 1.5. And so we all understand those terms amongst each other. We're like, oh, you're 1.5. Oh, you're second generation. Oh, you're third generation. So, yeah, my mm. kids are third generation. Yeah. And so I will tell you something here is with identity. My daughter, who is almost 22, oh my gosh, she's gonna be 22 in two days. She actually went, um, yeah, someone says I'm not third generation, like I'm second. And I was like, who's who said that? That's when you you see me getting a little riled up going, that's what told you what they are. No, and then I had to clarify, I go, no, you are, because I think they thought I was first generation and that felt like, so they were being very technical. I go, no, you are third. That is the technical term. She was all like, of course, doubting her own mom. She's like, um, that's not what this person said. And they kind of, I was like, stop it. Mommy says you're, <laughs> but anyways, what I was trying to get at is it was, it depends on how people look at it, but yeah. some people will say to me, but Jenna, Jeannie, Jeannie, you are first generation. I go, fine. You can say that technically, but I am saying that I'm second generation because that's how I identify. Sure. It, it Just with the 1.5s and second generation, I, I teach a lot of Hallyu and K-pop and the evolution of K-pop. And my mind is just imagining, okay, first generation, then 1.5 and second generation. It's a, uh, but I, I think just having that community and having people to talk about it where it where it does come out, it's not just hidden. It's not or, or moreover, I guess it's not just binary or one or the other, but it allows everybody to have their own place, I think, in it, which mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, Jeannie, it, it's been fabulous today. Uh, a, a couple of closing questions, if I may, from you. And, uh, and this, you know, kind of relates to kids, this first one. Um, from your experience and wisdom, which you said you've got with age, you've given us your age uh -oh. and, and your singing today. Um, do you have any advice for young people, maybe young people at high school, college or university, but you have professional training, you, or even just as a human, not as a professional, but what would you say to young people uh, of today, Jeannie? I would say, it's not all just one way, meaning even though people say that they're progressive or 
they go, oh, you know, I'm younger. I'm part of the Gen Z population, the Zillennial population. We think differently. I still find that youth tend to think very black and white uh, or they, they think in extremes, polarized even. I tell them because I'm going to come from a mental health perspective and a real life perspective going, there's lots of grays. And that's so actually, I would say against a little bit of even the Korean culture where they could see things very like, that's why I was very anti-cancel culture. I'm like, gosh, it can't just be one way. And so I tell them to understand that in well-being and from a, even a felt a mom and someone who is in their place. And actually I point that out. What makes me unique is I understand the youth. I was there at one point when they had that identity grappling, but I'm also their mom's age. <laughs> so I understand their parents. So they're like, then they look at me like, but I, but I tend to say I err on your side because I understand that cultural conflict. So I say that because that's another way of me saying there is a cultural conflict or there's a conflict within that age group. So you got to understand that. So you're going to be grappling with some sort of conflict. And by the way, that's rooted in psycho psychological models that at that age group, you're trying to figure out who you are. So you're constantly be like, does this matter or does this matter? So I tell them, you may go, this matters at one point, but then six years later or even six days later, this matters. And that is okay. Hmm. So they tend to think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I just, I go, no, please don't be so black and white. Please don't be so polarizing. In fact, that's what happens in this world when we're too polarized. Like there's gotta be that middle ground or that gray meshed in. And basically that's how your mental health works. There are grays. You can't say you're sad all the time or mad. There are times you'd be sad and mad at the same time. You don't talk about love and hate at the same time. You love your parents, but then you hate them. That kind of thing, right? And that's me being facetious, but that's what I tell the youth. So that's what I mean by, and actually I also tell them, and this is funny, I tell adults this too. I'd like you to think in circles, you know, that, and you don't hear that. They're like, please don't talk in circles. Why are you thinking in circles? Why well, go when it comes to your well being and what's healthy for you, your emotions do not run linearly. And so there are times where you think it's linear. Why I, I want to just be mad, but then I also love this person. Something's wrong with me. I go, no, 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 that's nothing's wrong with you. You got to think in circles. There are times you're angry, but at the same time you love them. Then you end up hating them, but then you love them again. So I go, that is normal. And so it's kind of like I validate that almost cycle, right? Where they think there's something wrong with them. And actually that's the, the youth tend to think that they're like, I got to think this way. Something's wrong with me. I'm going, no, no, nothing's wrong with you. So I hope that helps. More gray. Think in circles and more gray. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's uh, really, really important. And, you know, I notice it in, I'm lucky because I get to spend a lot of time in academia where we explore, but I've noticed that among young people, like asking questions or seeing the good on both sides is seen as negative. You know, that's that's like you're not meant to ask questions. There's not good on both sides. It is polarized. It's Manichean. There's there's good and evil. But, you know, nature doesn't create good and evil. The world is, you know, a, a circle and things like well, that. Well, the world is a circle. And I'll, I'll, I'll also say this, K-dramas, you don't always see an antagonist. And when you do see an antagonist, you learn something about the antagonist's story and you realize, oh, you don't excuse their behavior, but you actually go, so that's why he's such a jerk. Oh, that's why he's this way, or that's why she's this way. Am I making sense? That's what, an example of the what I want you to see in the grays. You yeah. know, not everybody is just this one way. You see one dimension, but there's multiple dimensions. It's the classic who are the bad guys in Parasite? I mean, 
there's not is it the poor because we we have this class consciousness and the poor people are noble and you know they're the sort of the earth and the rich people are evil but actually they killed the rich people and they're it's yeah so it's yes exactly there's many interpretations plus we all interpret things differently so i'll see one thing that you may see that that you won't see or i won't see does that make sense i tell people that too our realities are very different how we view things yeah so that's so super important to respect as well you know Mm. But I, I do agree that K-dramas and, and K-movies, especially Bong Joon-ho, like if you watch any Bong Joon-ho Gundok names, his movies, even going back to like the host Kwemul in 2006, I, didn't see that I, one. Yeah. I, I do this with my students. I'm like, when we watch it, I'm like, well, who are the bad guys? Who are the good guys? And they're like, there's not one. It's not easy. And so it gives you the gray in the circles. That's right. That's right. And that is kind of how life works, though. People don't see that, right? They're ready to cancel you everywhere. Oh, There's... this person's one thing wrong. They're bad, right? But then they you ignore the good that they did. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm going to play a concert later tonight in Seoul, and I hope one day I see an indie band in Seoul called Grey Circles. <laughs> I, I might, <laughs> I might do one day. It sounds like a that Hyundai could be indie you band. leading that. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not quite an indie band person. Um, <laughs> last question, Ginny, and, and I thank you once more for your time. Uh, this is a question I asked to everyone, so it's a bit of a weird one, but. Uh, we're all on this planet together, this this round circular planet. And perhaps we didn't even ask to be here. We're given different identities. We're given different mental makeups. We're given different appearances and, and different places to live. Nevertheless, we are all here. While we're here, what can we do to provide more value to our existence, to the existence of other people that inhabit this planet with us? Jeannie, what's the meaning of life oh my gosh okay i thought this was an ending question do we have another hour no the meaning of life is whatever your meaning is meaning (laughs) um your reality is your reality reality is subjective and i say this a lot to people the best example i can give you is i don't like seeing debates when you see debates on television, even political debates, I'm like, why is this happening? Now I get it to see who wins and who gets their case. But at the end of the day, I'm like, why are you trying to convince somebody else? Because, and that's how I mediate. I'm like, hey, I know you want to convince your spouse this is the best way, but you cannot change someone else. So when I say the meaning of life is understanding that we all have our own realities, and I kind of said it before, our own schemas, our own beliefs, our own perspectives, One event can even be seen very differently by thousands of people. Another, I'm a family therapist. So even in a family, siblings will say to each other going, did we have the same parents? Realities are very different, even in a family. So I would appreciate people with understanding the meaning of life being, we all have our different meanings and purposes. And uh, I would say our own nuances or realities and it's subjective. So we can show that empathy and then empathy is understanding other person's perspective and and their internal perspective, but compassion goes one step further, which is actually showing them that you understand that. How are we doing that? That's really up to you. I don't want to say this is how you do it. If you can say, you know what? I understand that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but I can see that's your perspective. Then I feel like we would all have a much, I wouldn't say peaceful world, but maybe a world that that can promote a little bit more hopefulness, you know, and I'm not saying our world is dark, but it's so polarized. It's like this way, or you don't believe this fine. You're on my blacklist or you're canceled. 
we don't work that way. That's why it's so, it's so, you know, people have so many mental health issues. That's why mental health is on the rise. I'm just saying uh, my field is just in such a need. That's what I'm going to say. Our reality is subjective. We make our own meaning, appreciate each person's reality, even if it doesn't make sense to you because that's their reality. Would you want someone to say, Jeannie, you're, that's weird. How do you see that? Right? That's miserable when someone's just completely disvalidates something that you believe in. You're like, that's hopeful. So just like you want someone to believe your reality, even if it's not their reality, it feels good. Do the same for others. We do spend we do spend a lot of time trying to convince other people of our opinions rather than listening yeah. to other people, don't we? I think. So I say listen to people say listen to respond, right? That don't listen to respond, listen to understand. You you know, obviously that's what I do for a living. I'm listening, but there are times there's something actually in our field called accurate empathy. Do you know there are times someone's talking to you and you'll be like, "Oh, so this is what you need." And you miss the boat completely mm -hmm. and you just and you and you'll realize going, oh my gosh, I just hurt that person, but I was listening, but maybe you weren't listening with accurate empathy, meaning you missed their entire message. They just probably wanted you to listen, but you instead gave a solution that ended up hurting them. So I'll say things like that going, at the end of the day, we don't want solutions. We think we do, but we don't. We want to be heard and validated for what we share or believe who we are. And I guess for accurate empathy, we need to use our nunchi. Yes, that is why I use Nunchi a lot. That's the name of me. I'm not always a Nuna. Obviously, I'm your Nuna, but I'm not always a Nuna. <laughs> but Nunchi is one of my favorite words because I use it a lot to help me attune to others, to help mm. them with their needs. Well, I say thank you for your Nunchi and thank you, Nuna. <laughs> thank you for having me.